Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Good evening and welcome to tonight's show. It's me, Jeff, here again, as I do. I have some terribly bad news. Um, I have COVID. Sucks. Supposed to see Batman on Saturday. We're supposed to have a big Batman blowout show. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen now. Unfortunately, it's just going to have to wait. That's okay. That is okay. Um, nobody that I was with or who was around me uh, caught COVID. My family remains safe and sound in that is what is most important in life, is it not? Uh, as for my symptoms, you know, I'm a little uh, mild, relatively mild, uh, achy, little achy. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm preparing myself for the worst and hoping for the best. And that's it, you know, it is what it is. But the reason why I bring this up at the beginning of the show is because um, I'm doing a lot of coughing. And it's really a cucker crazy. Thank you, Robbie. Robbie says, hope it passes soon, my friend. Um, I, I hope so, too. Um, but I've been coughing like crazy, and it is kind of gross. And I hope that it doesn't happen. I mean, I'm going to do a lot of talking right now. I took uh, about 600 ibuprofen, so hopefully that will help with things. And you know what I just realized? I did not. <laughs> you know what I just realized? I totally forgot to get a seltzer. So you know what I'm going to do? We're going to start off the show with our sponsor. We never do this, but we're doing this. So that way we don't we don't lose the dead air. I can go get my seltzer and I can come back. Um, have, do you know about riotstickers.com? They are the proud sponsors of the Frumis channel. Sharpie Riot uh, ones, runs a wonderful independent business called riotstickers.com. They made the stupendous banner that you see I, it's hard to point on screen because it's reversed. He, he made this banner that's right behind me. Uh, beautiful, beautiful banner. You can get banners and so much more. We're doing a special deal on stickers. You can get 50 stickers, 53 inch by three inch stickers for $29.50. Normally, that's $59. But you get 50% off value with the special promo code from us. And the link is in the description below. Um, that's how it goes. Riotstickers.com. We're going to jump into this topic. I am so excited for tonight. We got a hell of a show packed for you. You don't even know. You don't even know what kind of show we got. It's going to be great. Uh, I will be right back.
Riot Stickers, we are the bomb indeed. That is correct. Okay, I'm back. I got my seltzers. I got some delicious seltzer. We have a uh, we have a, a wonderful orange vanilla polar right here. And then I also have a uh, Wegmans mango lime. Uh, both, both stupendous flavors. Big fan. Big old fan of those. <clears throat> okay, let's do this. So I have a few notes here. Let's uh, begin with this. Um, Anti-Semitism. We have grazed over it a little bit on this channel in the past. It's a weird sort of topic for a big deep dive on that and like Jewish identity and America and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, go check out the Larry David episode we did. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David episode that we did uh, earlier this, I don't know, maybe it was last year. It might've been, might've been in the fall or the winter. And that's where we really, really talked about anti-Semitism, or at least I, I talked about my personal relationship with anti-Semitism. What's up, Biz? Uh, appreciate your, your words. Uh, I'm hoping for a strong recovery too. Um, but the thing is, there are certain things that are, there are certain things that are, um, tied to anti-Semitism. There's a lot of stuff. T today, it's a lot of conspiracy theories, like the myths, like it used to be myths. In fact, you might even say that in a way, myth is the original conspiracy theory, right? So it's like, you know, both are not necessarily rooted in truth or maybe based on like the tiniest thread of observational truth. What does observational truth means? It means that like, like something that, you know, you observe that is, you know, um, factually true from your observation. But then you take that thing and you you pull it like taffy and you stretch it and pull it and churn it until it is something that doesn't really resemble itself. It's something that is completely different. And there is I mean, that there is a, a flavor of and, and, you know, and then somewhere in between that spectrum, we said myths, we said conspiracy theories and then you have stuff like stereotypes and stereotypes exist for everybody there is a stereotype for everyone some stereotypes are more benign than other stereotypes there's some stereotypes that are incredibly hurtful um some will argue that stereotype is also based on punching up and punching down whatever that means it means like this idea that like a stereotype like for instance the idea that a stereotype might not hurt a caucasian person in the same way that a stereotype might hurt an African-American person or, you know, just any black person who is, uh, you know, uh, comes from maybe a, a marginalized background or population or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, I and, you know, there is definitely something to that as well. But, you know, the thing with this stuff is it's all super duper subjective. You know what I'm saying? It's super duper subjective. It's not. um it's not this and it's not that. It's not a black and white thing. It's just there's a lot of gray area. Thank you, Count Zacula. We got Count Zacula in in the crib, in the house, in the coffin, in the coffin. It's a it's a vampire themed show. You're you're, you're just in time, Zach. Uh, ho hope you are well as well as well. Um, and then you know 
there are like specifics like you know for instance like I'll, I'll speak specifically about jews i i myself am being a jew let's get that up front if you watch my channel enough you know that i'm a jew because i talk about it every single day or i always mention it i do that kind of on purpose because there was a long period of time where i was really ashamed to be jewish i was ashamed of my heritage because um i had been made fun of for being jewish and you know, when I wasn't so fat and I had uh, a bigger, my nose looked bigger and I had, you know, those Jewish features, you know, um, and I'll never forget working as a bus boy in a restaurant. And I was with these like these Slavic guys and I, oh my God, it scared the crap out of me. Uh, one of them found out I was Jewish and the other one turns to his brother that they were brothers all excited. He goes, hey, he's a Jew. He's a Jew. And, you know, even just saying a Jew, like a Jew is a noun. That is what I am. I am a Jew. It's not like bad to use the word Jew, right? Like a Jew is a Jew. Like that's what you call it. You call a black guy a black guy. You wouldn't call an English black man an African-American. That sounds stupid, right? That's a stupid, that's a stupid, that's a stupid thing. That's offensive, right? Um, so you just call, but it's interesting how sometimes the thing itself becomes the pejorative so in the case of being gay remember when it was very in vogue decades ago to say oh that's so gay that's gay and what you're doing is you say well oh no i don't mean the, the 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 um i don't mean the sexuality i just mean i'm just talking about something in a negative way but what you're doing is you're turning the word gay into a pejorative and therefore it equates and we have since we've we've since changed right in like the last 20 years it's become really like it's not a thing you it's not a thing you hear very often anymore it is no longer socially acceptable at one point in time it was a very socially acceptable thing and the same thing with the f word the f word was a very socially accepted sort of uh slang term to use it was um said with ignorance and malice but it was a very hurtful word the f word is a word that i guess that's the equivalent of saying the n word right uh, to 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 an extent. Um, and then you have the word Jew, where, you know, you call someone a Jew, you're essentially calling them cheap. You could be calling them cheap. There's a bunch of things you could be calling them when you call them a Jew. Like a, It is bad to be a Jew in the same way that it's bad to be a rat. Don't you call someone a rat because you're trying to insult them. If you call someone a Jew who's not a Jew, you're probably doing it because you're trying to insult them, right? You're not calling someone a Jew. The one time you're calling someone a Jew who's not a Jew is if they have like really, really Jewish features and maybe like, I don't know, like they have really, really curly hair or maybe they have a really, really big nose or something. And you say, uh, uh, boy, you, you, <laughs> you know, like a uh, 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 boy, uh, you, you, you look like a Jewy bastard, something like that. Um, <laughs> um, and so like, it's just like a weird thing. And like in that, instance i feel like using the word in that way is not like necessarily a negative you're just it's more of like a observational thing but let me let me get back on track here with the the thread that i'm trying to 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 pull at um in addition to to using nouns as pejoratives in addition to the stereotypes and the conspiracy theories and the myths um, you also have like these sort of, you have these other stereotypes, visual stereotypes 
that are supposed to be the personification of, of all of an entirety of a people. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, you have stuff like um, the, the Redskins mascot. And I know Redskin is not a nice thing to say. Um, I'm saying it for the fact that we're saying, we're calling it, that's what it was. It was a big brouhaha. Um, uh, Native Americans, indigenous peoples were incredibly offended and upset by the, um, the racial insensitivity and sent the racial insensitivity to, you know, people walking around with a t-shirt of uh, this stereotypical looking, you know, Native American chief that's being identified by the color of its skin. Could you imagine if that was a black person or if that was an Asian person of some kind, it would be now switch out the, the, I mean, it's, that's, that's pretty bad, but for some reason, because it's, because it's the Redskins or whatever, or because it's native American people, that's what I'm saying. Like it's very subjective. People don't always view everything in, in, in the same sort of way. So what I'm about to say is going to sound really kind of weird, but if you look at it, if you line it up, if you line it up a little bit, it kind of works. And then we're going to get to what my personal feelings are about it. If you look at aunt Jemima, aunt Jemima is considered to be an incredibly race. Well, it has super racist, super racist roots and origins as well. I don't even want to say the word that it originally that it that it originates from, but um, you know it's turned into this commodified commercial brand for for a corporation, and it's become so homogenized and so like like bland in its like that it's not a hateful harmful thing. Nobody really bats an eye at it, and yet at the same time people look at it and uh, you know realize hey this is connected to this and to an extent what we're going to explore today is how nosferatu is essentially a racialized stereotype for jews and that is the true that's true that's the origin of nosferatu the nosferatu character but it's way 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 more complicated than that and we're gonna we're gonna deep dive deep deep dive into it. I just want to look over my notes. <clears throat> Information, ugly stereotypes. Um, and then here's the other thing that's interesting too. Um, stereotypes are going to get like information, myths, like all the stuff we're discussing. This stuff is going to get super weird, at least for Jews. Let me let me keep it to Jews. For Jews, it's going to get really weird in the next couple of decades because we still have um survivors of our of our genocide, of our Holocaust. Um, they're all dying out. And when they die out, you are going to see the rise of a whole new wave of denial. That's why people are like, why, who care? Like, why is this such a big deal that they're banning this graphic novel called Mouse? And Mouse, for those of you who don't know, Mouse is, uh, it's by Art Spiegelman. And it's basically this uh, parable for the Holocaust, but using uh, cats as the Nazis and mice as the Jews. And, you know, that obviously speaks to, and if you think about the fact that they're mice and not necessarily rats, because rats, again, they have that negative connotation. And it's like, they're mice, they're mice, they're not rats, rats, people like mice more than they like rats, right? But you call a mouse a rat to make it seem more unappetizing, you know, and basically what Nosferatu is he is essentially somewhat the personification 
of a Jewish rat. Yeah, a Jewish rat that feeds on the blood of the living, a foreign invader that comes from, you know, uh, mysterious lands um, to infect everything around it. We must vanquish the Nosferatu, that sort of thing. And um, and we're here today. And then and the last thing I want to say before we like look at the historic the history of this stuff, which you know I know some stuff, but like I'm very curious to learn myself. Uh, the last thing that that I want to say is like, how do I personally feel about Nosferatu? Personally, um, I like Nosferatu. Actually, it's I kind of equate it to how the trans community maybe maybe I don't I can't speak for the trans community. But we do have trans viewers on this channel. I would love to hear. Um, I, I, and we kind of talked about it in the comments a little bit, but I'd love to invite them to weigh in on it in the comments in regards to sleepaway camp, as we've kind of done in the past. Um, it's like a, it's like a conflicting, confusing thing. Like on one hand, like I know that that it's like sort of a polarizing, confusing sort of like. Uh, positive and negative it's you know it can it's very hurtful and damaging but there's also kind of like some sort of like empowerment angle to um uh the 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 relationship with sleepaway camp for the lack of better words and if i'm if there are better words to be using let me know please um uh and it's the same thing i think with say nasratu i like nasratu i like nasratu the movie i like actually i just watched werner herzog's nasratu as well as nasratu in venice and I did reviewed both of those movies on this channel. Go check it out. Um, Herzog really, really gets into the plague, the rat plague stuff um, in, in, in relation in regards to Nosferatu, uh, which is really cool. Really interesting. I really liked his adaptation. Klaus Kinski is amazing. Not to say that Max Shrek is not amazing. Um, but yeah, it's like a weird thing. Like on one hand, it's like the same idea. Like for me, it's like the ultimate persona. Again, I mean, keep using this word personification, stupid word. It's like the ultimate embracing of being the uh, monster kid in a way, right? Um, being, being like a Jewish vampire, you know, creature, that sort of thing. So I think it's kind of cool on that angle, but it comes from very, very um, sad, uh, tragic, damaging, um, uh in 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 uh in insulting sort of um uh, uh history uh slash says here this is a pretty serious thing to level against Murnau. do you have any sources from from him or people around him regarding his feelings uh well, we're going to find out in about two seconds because i have a ton of materials here and you know what's interesting too you know for those of like you know in terms of wonder what is interesting is max shrek was a jew the writer i believe the writer of nosferatu was jewish and um Mirnau himself was gay uh so that kind of like all gets thrown into the mix so i'm not like I do. I think that that Nosferatu is intending to be anti-Semitic per se. No, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that it, it it comes from it comes from those kinds of places. In the same way that that Candyman's look at Candyman's origins, right? With the honey and the bees, and he was a slave, right? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like that in a way, and it's really really interesting and it's really interesting you know especially in contextualizing um 
what we've been dealing with for the last two years, you know, this notion and like, you know, uh, it just kind of makes it kind of a contemporary sort of thing. Right. A little bit. Um, uh, the, the, the idea of, of, uh, of, of conflating, you know, um, or, you know, comparing and contrasting that with say the plague. Um, but let's, let's deep dive now. Um, and take a look and and sort of appraise all of this stuff. And I have everything sort of sequenced up here. Let's let's take a look at it. We'll go one thing by one thing. Um, oh, let's see what Slash says real quick. Slash says, I feel Orlock's characterization is essentially from the Stoker novel, but the big departure is his grotesque appearance versus the Dapper Court. So this is a perfect slasher. You said it yourself. And that grotesque appearance is supposed to be mimicking a Jewish creature, a Jewish creature that carries disease and feeds on the blood of the living. That's the whole point. That's what Nosferatu is, as opposed to say, maybe Dracula, uh, a little bit different. Obviously, as we all know, for those of you who don't know, the, well, we're going to read about it. So we, I don't have to explain. I'm not, I'm not going to even explain uh, all of that. Um, let's let uh, biz says, uh, I'm not into vamps, so I've never even heard this before. I I just thought he looked that way because he's a movie monster in the same way that witches have green skin and warts. I mean, you're gonna we're gonna read right now and let let other people better better say better say it than me. How about that? Um, so let's start here. This is interesting. This is from Reddit. And this um, partially gave me the inspiration for tonight's episode because we've done a lot of history stuff on this channel. We've tackled a lot of things that revolve around death and monsters and stuff. I thought, you know, uh, being a Jew myself, why not talk about some of the uh, negative Jewish stereotypes or just like and, and how they uh, inter they intersect with horror and horror elements and things. I thought that would be really um, sort of interesting. So let's take a look. Let us take a look. All right. Here we go. So this is from uh, uh, the horror Reddit, and it said Nosferatu is a Jewish caricature. And it's posted two years ago by has some self-esteem. Uh, and they write, that's not the start of a bad joke. That is just something I noticed while watching the film for the first time. So this is this person is coming to this realization without having read or heard anything. They were just watching watching the movie and uh, sort of uh, realized this. Um, they say, I loved it, but I was struck by how much of the horror was rooted in early 20th century anti-Semitism and xenophobia. The plot of the film is that a demonic foreigner brings plague and evil to a German city while preying on pure young maidens. Count Orlock even looks like a horrid stereotype, a horrid stereotype of a monster Jew. Uh, I'm not trying to start a debate or attempt to discredit the film, and you can't discredit the film. It's a masterpiece. You hear me right now say this. Nosferatu is a wonderful masterpiece 
Um, do, does Israel have their own vampire variant myths? No, um, because that is a really, really complicated question, Viz. Um, the, 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 short of, the short answer is no, because what happened was everybody who's living in Israel, essentially, apart from the Jews that live there indigenously, uh, were coming from other places after the Great Dysphoria. So, in fact, whatever myths that are coming into Israel actually come from uh, the Germanic regions. They come from Russia. They come from Eastern European regions. So, if anything, something maybe more on the line, long lines of like a Strigoi might be coming from there into, into Israel. And it's the same thing with the Arab Jews. My wife is an Arab Jew. She's not uh, white. She is um, Middle Eastern. Uh, she's Libyan and Iraqi. And so they probably have their own myth as well. In fact, guys, how about this? Did you know this? Um, did you know that the last name Frumis is actually Yiddish? <coughs> Yiddish is uh, the language of Eastern European Jews. So my name comes from a, 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 bastardized, a bastardized language. Uh, that is a combination of German and Hebrew. And what it means, ironically enough, is very religious Jew, a from or a from. And so that is where the name from us actually comes from. We got Goat Boy here, and he says the golem unleashed. The golem is another Jewish myth, actually super cool. And, you know, the origins of Frankenstein kind of uh, tie into that as well. I mean, Frankenstein is a wholly original creation by Mary Shelley, but um, I would say a proto-Frankenstein, a predecessor to Frankenstein. The idea of creating something monstrous and it running rampant actually comes from Prague, 16th century Prague, uh, with the idea of the golem. Right. Send in Der Golem. If you want to um, experience uh, Der Golem in a wonderful way, you need to listen to Frank Black's 2010 album, Der Golem, where he basically scored and wrote a, a thematic album uh, to the film Der Golem, which is actually, and again, my, my silent cinema, my German expressionist history is a little rusty here, but I do believe that Der Golem is actually the third movie. There was uh, three Golem movies, and the first two were destroyed, or at least there's no surviving prints of them. And then Der Golem is actually kind of like the prequel to the other two films. So the third prequel in the Golem trilogy is the only one to survive, interestingly enough. And that is a character that I love, that I champion maybe even more than say Nosferatu because Nosferatu is like a negative it's I mean it's like again it would be like you imagine if you were not a Jew and you were just like super into Nosferatu and you're just like yeah or, or you're 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 not let's say that you're not um let's say that you're a white guy and you just walk around wearing um uh, an Aunt Jemima hat on your head and you're like yeah Aunt Jemima and meanwhile there might be uh, a woman uh, who maybe might be the basis or so maybe would be offended, I should say, of the Aunt Jemima stereotype who sees you wearing that hat and you might go like that's a little, you know, um, 
either here nor there. Um, all right, let's let's keep let's keep moving. Let's keep moving on here. We're getting a little distracted. Let's see. Uh, bu- 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 bu. <coughs> There's that cough. The original Dracula, uh, Faust three four four says the original Dracula in Stoker's novel is meant to be invocative of various Eastern immigrant stereotypes as well. So it's interesting how Bella Lugosi, I believe Bella was Hungarian, right? Bella Lugosi is a, a Hungarian uh, sort of Eastern European kind of guy who's embodying Dracula, who in turn is supposed to be this sort of. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, uh, this this Eastern immigrant that's 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 trans, uh, transgressing trans. I don't know what you would call it. We got Ballad in the house. What's up, Ballad? Ballad will be perfect for this conversation. One of the more blatant anti-Semitic tropes in modern film is the bankers in Harry Potter. There's a Star of David on the effing floor in the bank. I ne- I never noticed that for real. But but Ballad is aware of this stuff. He see it like it's there. It is th- subversively this stuff is there. Even if that was not the intention of the filmmakers, subversively it is there. It exists. Is it how harmful is it? I don't know. But like I said, do you really want to be a white guy walking around wearing Aunt Jemima hat? Or do you really want to be, um, yeah, if you want to be a white, well, we, this is this happened for many years, white guys wearing uh, redskin hats, you know, uh, try going, try going, tell me you feel comfortable wearing a redskin hat on a on a reservation. You go to the an, uh, a Native American reservation and you are wearing a, a, a redskin hat ball cap i'm sure that would be rather um offensive and and un uncool uncool um biz says damn uh what is it with every monster threatening pure young beings because that's because because every monster and we'll stop to talk about this for one second because i love talking about this every monster like story always comes back to this idea of beauty and the beast you know what i mean you have um, uh, usually the beast has its humanity locked inside of it, um, but on the outside doesn't reflect the its outside doesn't reflect the humanity that's within, and therefore it, it's a tragic story of unrequited love. I am the beast. How could I ever love the beauty? We can never be together. Look no further than say. Um, you know, Beauty and the Beast, or look at every monster movie that you know came out, The Creature of the Black Lagoon. You know what I'm saying? All that sort of stuff, even King Kong, which if you've watched one of the best scenes ever written by Quentin Tarantino, here's a great example of everything we're talking about right now. Every single thing we're talking about right now in relation to Nosferatu, everything that we're talking about um uh in relation to um just all this stuff oh oh the snooch brings up a good one hold on i'm I'm gonna get to the comments one second look at look at beauty and the beast watch the most brilliant scene from quentin tarantino in inglorious bastards where they're playing this guessing game you have to guess what the the subject is on the card that's on someone's forehead (coughs) and um and they, they they they're going through the guessing game, and what does and spoilers on a on a twelve year old movie if you haven't seen it? What do they they say? Um, oh, uh, you must be King Kong, and the the answer is no, I am a slave in the South of America, uh, the South the American South, and that was amazing because all of the parallels, the drawing of the parallels to this, to what 
King Kong symbolically represents to American slavery is unreal. It's un- unbelievable the connections that, that one can make. And Quentin Tarantino does a beautiful job. And the same sort of, and I think that's actually the perfect template to sort of lay Nosferatu over anti-Semitic, you know, um, uh, plague, uh, you know, uh, plague creature, Jew- Jewish plague creatures that drink blood, blood libel, that thing. Uh, it's all there. Uh, the snooch says here, the sh- perfect example, Shylock and the Merchant of Venice. Um, or how John Travolta calls himself that in Get Shorty. Uh, does he call himself Shylock? I did not know that. And it's been a long time since I've seen Get Shorty. Um, uh, Bernard says, uh, Gustav uh, Myrink wrote the book Gollum and the Greenface. Interesting. Uh, business grateful for the 411. Um, Angus McCorder says my, my Northern U2 UTE ex-wife and I live on a Utah reservation. You never wear a redskin hat there. Thank you. And Angus, may I ask, are you, uh, if you don't mind sharing with us, what is your background? But could you, uh, would you imagine it would be horrifying, right? It'd be horrifying to walk around wearing a redskin hat on a native american reservation so imagine you know draw your parallels to other things and imagine how one might find it insensitive bottom line me as a horror kid with my education in horror and understanding these things and being sort of weird and and peculiar i don't really have a problem with nosferatu but you know i can't speak for other jews other groups of jews who might find it incredibly offensive. Okay, Fangzine brings up literally one of my favorite films that I've seen recently. Like my new obsession is Jean Cocteau's Le Belle et Le Bête. I've talked about it. That was a terrible French in uh, pronunciation. I've talked about this film a lot on this channel. I love this movie. Um, it is, in my opinion, it came out in 1947, post-World War II France. I think that it is the French answer to the universal horror cycle, right? Except it's using a classic tale from French literature. So in a way, Beauty and the Beast is the first universal horror story when you think about it. Um, Robbie says, Inglorious is my favorite QT film. Um, As a whole cohesive film, I, I don't think it works as a whole cohesive film, but the scenes themselves are, it's some of the best scene writing. Quentin Tarantino is one of the best scene writers in, in the history of filmmaking and, and unglorious bastards while not being a, a cohesive story from start to finish is ab- absolutely contains some of the best scenes ever written. It's just brilliant. Um, Robbie says it's effed up. I never realized that connection before that movie. Go rewatch that scene in inglorious bastards and it will, it will blow your friggin' mind. Um, Biz says that beauty and the beast has its roots in Greek mythology, believe it or not. I did not know that. And I would love, please share the story. I'd like to know more. Um, what? Slash is saying that uh, that this was Danzig's favorite film. It all comes full circle. Are you talking about uh, beauty and the beast? The, the 1947 version? That would be awesome, if true. And uh, uh, Glenn, I would say, Glenn, you have good taste. Okay. Um, so Angus says that he's white. He's Scottish Irish. 
I am open to any ethnicity. He says he grew up in a very diverse setting, but even so, it would be really, really, really awkward, weird, bad, offensive if you're going to walk around with a red skin cap on, right? I would imagine that sort of thing. What's going on? What's going on, JD? How you doing? What am I getting all of these interesting things? I got to mute this real quick. Oh, boy. Um, Nailed it, Lizzie. Nailed it, Lizzie. So, what the hell? Um, what else can I? What else can I say? Lizzie Graves says one of my favorite movies. That's great. That is that is great. Eros and Psyche is the Greek myth. Right. Right. Thank you for that contribution. Uh, Glenn at one of the Veronica screenings said that Beauty and the Beast film was a huge inspiration. That is awesome. That is really, really awesome. JD says, what up, peeps? We already got that. One of your favorites. Mom says, yeah, I read it was Glenn's favorite movie back in the day. All right. We're getting distracted by all of these comments. So I'm going to move on. We haven't even gotten to anything yet. Oh my God. How did we do 37 minutes on just the opening alone? All right. I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to X this out and we're going to move on to another. We're going to move on to another thing. Okay. This is a great, this is a great little read right here. Let's take a look. This is called kosher vampires. Kosher vampires. Hold on one second. Ready? JD, yes, you are. And and you're you're welcome to uh, contribute to the chat. We're glad you're here, sir. Thank you for joining us. Okay. Kosher vampires. This is from the book with both feet on the clouds. It's called Kosher Vampires, Jews, Vampires, and Prejudice. Very, very interesting. Um, this is by Sahara Blau. I remember the moment very clearly. This is just an excerpt. I'm not going to download the whole thing. So I'm just going to read this a little bit, and then we're going to move on. Like I said, I have a lot of programming planned. It's great. It's great. We're learning. We're learning today. That's the goal of today is to learn. <laughs> um, I remember the moment very clearly. The repulsive figure of Count Orlock, the vampire, appeared on the screen, played by Max Shrek. The camera zoomed in on the hunched form with the hideous face and the beak-like nose, focusing on the look in his beady black eyes as they glared greedily at the pale young woman. Hit pause, I shouted at my friend, who was holding the remote control. We stared at the frozen image. Had I not known that I was looking at a frame of not from Nosferatu, the first vampire movie, which was made by the German director Frederick Murnau in 1922, I might have thought the picture came straight out of the Nazi propaganda organ Der Str uh, Strummer. Strummer, the figure of the vampire was a carbon copy of the stereotype 
of a Jew in anti-Semitic caricatures of that period. Because remember, let's take a look at history, folks. World War I finishes up. You know what I'm saying? Um, Germany is in deep economic squalor. People are desperate. People are ready to believe in anything, be united. Over on the Russian side, you have the Bolshevik Revolution, right? That day in October, they killed all the Tsars, Nicholas II. As a matter of fact, the reason why I'm talking to you here in America and not in Russia, thank goodness, um, shout out to all of the people uh, fighting for their for their independence in Ukraine right now. From us and this channel stands with you. Um, my whole family comes from Russia originally. Why are we not in Russia right now? Because even though uh, we didn't we 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 didn't go to the Holocaust, none of none of us immediately got in the Holocaust. What instead happened was um, there were these things called pogroms. And you can look up what the word pogrom means, but a pogrom basically goes like this. It's basically uh, a Jew hunt. Have you ever seen an American uh, tall, an American tale, the cartoon Fievel? Remember Fievel the mouse talking about ma- mice again in the terms of mouse. Remember mouse? We're just talking about mouse. Um, the um, yes, I don't. I'm guessing Slava Ukraine means like hail Ukraine or something. By the way. That dude is a Jew, the uh, president of Ukraine, who everybody's like realizing is like the most badass mother effer ever is uh, a Jew. Makes me very proud to be Jewish. They're like, Mr. President, do you want a helicopter? Uh, do you want us to get you out of there? And he said, I don't need a ride. I need bullets. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. That is really freaking cool. In any case, um, Fievel, Fievel produced by Steven Spielberg. Um the 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 Jewish director of all time. Um, that is that beginning of that movie is a pogrom. All of the Russian Jews were their houses were burned to the ground, um, hangings, all all that sort of stuff, just riots that where Jews are, are slaughtered and or 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 kicked out of where they live, forced to flee. And in the case of my family, we found our way to America because we couldn't stay. And that was all under Nicholas the second, the Tsar, the last Tsar of Russia. He, in turn, was um, him and his whole family. That's the whole Anastasia thing, that whole thing. Um, they, uh, they, were, they were murdered by the communists, the, the Bolsheviks, right? And then you had like, you had this other sort of thing that was formulating back then. You had um, the, the, the Jewish, uh, there was this whole, uh, there were these ties of Jews and communism, you know, uh, the Bolsheviks, that uh, they were Jews and that they caused all this. And that, again, it always comes back to the Jews. So you have that going on over there in, in, in Germany, however, um, it's post-World War I and the Nazi party is slowly rising to power and the German people are slowly starting to be uh, informed that the Jews are bad people and that we need to get rid of the Jews or the Jews are, they're basically dehumanizing the Jews. And if you look at all of the propaganda in the twenties in Germany, when Nosferatu is being made, you will see a very, very um, interesting. And then slash, this goes back to what we're saying here. 
this is the parallel. It comes from the idea of writing what you know. Thank you for the support, Side Loose. I don't know if that was a tip or a subscription. Whatever the case, it's much appreciated. Thank you for your support. <clears throat> what I'm saying is um, there are parallels to your art. When you're making something, you're influenced by your environment. And in the case of Nosferatu and the vampiric myth and the, 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 the stereotypical myths that are tied to that, all of, it's, all of it's getting mixed up in a pot. Nazi propaganda of what Jews like vampire the idea of the the ratty the ratty jew monster vampire uh, uh invading the town and bringing plague and disease with it and then on top of this notion this dogma that jews are the reason that everything's bad we, we can blame the jews and that obviously begins the very beginnings of what would come in the 30s and later the 40s and jd says that uh slava ukraine means glory to ukraine i love it love it great Moving on, moving on. The figure was a carbon copy of the stereotype of a Jew in anti-Semitic caricatures of that period. I later found out that Julius Streichter, sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, editor-in-chief of Der uh, uh, Stumer, which, uh, which was launched a year after the release of Nosferatu, was apparently influenced by the film. So how about that? So the person that is... Per, that the person that is publishing anti-Semitic, and this is where the ties are, uh, or partially where the ties are. The person I see, even I'm learning something. The person that's publishing anti-Semitic propaganda, like that, uh, making Jews look monstrous, hideous stereotypes, in the same way that Aunt Jemima is a stereotype, uh, was inspired by the film that had come out a year before. Orlock symbolized for him the ultimate other in quotation marks the anti-german the contaminator of the pure blood the carrier of plagues in other words the jew hey how you doing i have often wondered when i first became enthralled by the world of vampires with all of the allure and deception of its Im imminent darkness i think i was in my teens I imagine the appeal of the vampire world stemmed from a dark place in my soul. The same darkness. I think this is just blah, 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 uh, that led me to volunteers. All right. All right. So this is now getting into a whole thing. Oh, wait, maybe not. Actually, it says the same darkness that led me to volunteer as a secretary for the burial society and later uh, uh, to devote a large part of my adult life to studying the subject of the Holocaust. In essence, it allowed me to step lightly, irresponsibly and seemingly securely um uh and then it says here one i offer my gratitude to heim uh Brashith, who's marking the social other by blood the vampire genre inspired this essay fascinating <coughs> okay let us move on moving on up moving on over oh this is a good one. Oh, this one's gonna be good check this out Check this out. Um, that's terrible. See, look, we have anti-Semitic comments in the comment. See, how could you not tie Nosferatu to anti-Semitism when you have stuff like this? Look, look at what this guy's saying. This perfectly 
this perfectly highlights we're not going to get angry or offended here. We're just going to highlight exactly what I'm talking about. We're talking about anti-Semitism. Nosferatu still lives. His name is Jonathan Greenblatt. How about that? Greenblatt, the last name Greenblatt. Hello. Hello. Get it. Get it. Thanks, Sid. Thanks for demonstrating to us how prevalent uh, anti-Semitism is and how you, you even today in the year 2022 that you can use Nosferatu to describe a Jew. Hmm. That's terrible. Thanks for that, Sid. Appreciate you. Um, this one's called the Twinned Evils of Nosferatu. Ooh, interesting. The great film and social document illuminates a primal fear that of foreign contagion. And it's written in May, May 19th, 2020. So it's after March, March 20th, March 12th, um, which everybody knows March, March 2020 is when the world turned upside down. And we all know why it turned upside down. Um, so it's interesting how he is uh, or how the, the author and this is by Jay Haberman. OK, noteworthy. Noteworthy as the first adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, a bet unkosher for being unauthorized. Now, what does he mean by that? As we said, it takes the story of Dracula, but changes all the details around uh, as it was not. Uh, essentially, it's an adaptation of the of the movie. And they got uh, Stoker's Stoker's uh, wife, widow, um, stopped the stop the movie from from coming out or or seize the movie almost every copy if i'm not mistaken i'm sure some of the what we're going to read here today almost everything involving uh nosferatu like all the prints were destroyed except for one i think and from that one print we now have all other nosferatu prints um so nosferatu was was a lost film for a while and would have continued to have been a lost film had it not been saved. And thank goodness it had, because again, Nasratu is an incredible piece of art, truly. Um, the great German filmmaker F.W. Murnau's 1922 silent horror masterpiece, Nosferatu, is an unquestionably brilliant piece of filmmaking. Can't argue there. A singular example of plain air cinema achieving many eerie effects through the invocative use of location as well as camera placement it largely restricts the use of shadows to those of the cast by the transylvanian vampire called here count orlock actually one needn't see nosferatu projected on a screen to be spooked by it an image of orlock's dead-eyed Rat-like visage alone could suffice. That creature is played most convincingly by an actor named Max. Shrek is almost too good to be true. Although Shrek, which is fright in German and Yiddish. So once again, Yiddish, which uses, borrows words from both Hebrew and German. Um, Max Shrek, Shrek's last name is Yiddish. So Nosferatu is played by a Jew. It's a Jew in a Jewish stereotype role. <laughs> um, it's interesting, man. Uh, many insist that it must have been a pseudonym. The avant-garde filmmaker Stan Brackage believed that it was Murno himself in Shadow of the Vampire. Wait, what? Uh, sorry. So, so this is interesting. So Stan Brackage thinks that 
Murnau was actually Max Shrek, that Max Shrek didn't really exist. That was actually Murnau, which would be really, that would be interesting. In, in which case, maybe Nosferatu was not played by a Jew. Uh, in in Shadow of a Vampire, which is another super brilliant movie made by the same dude who made The Begotten. And do you know who produced Shadow of the Vampire, by the way? Um, friggin' Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, uh, his production company, produced uh, Saturn Films, and they won awards for it. And you don't see his name in the same way that Mel Brooks, you know, Mel Brooks was the producer on The Fly, the David Cronenberg's The Fly. He didn't want his name to take away from what the thing was. And I think... Nicholas Cage kind of did the same. And Nicholas Cage is a huge fan of German expressionalism. You could see it in his acting, which he calls nouveau shamanism or Western Kabuki. And um, the, uh, uh, I don't know, it's it's very interesting. And the, the character is played by Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe plays Max Schreck as a vampire. And you have John Malkovich as, as, as uh, F.W. Murnau. Um, Toxic Swamp, thank you so much for the support. Uh, pair character jumping up and down and saying number one fan. I guess what that means is that's an emoji that was used, and this is a tip. Thank you. Hey, much appreciated for your support. And because I'm using third-party software, it's hard to see the tips sometimes, guys, when you tip. So uh, like I said, I want to make sure everybody who tips gets highlighted with shout-outs. It's very important to me. Uh, so I just want to, again, throw the horns, say thank you. Uh, or maybe I should say, blah, blah. Um, let's get back to this. This is fat. I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So, so, um, so in, in, uh, E. Elias Mirhead, I can't pronounce the guy, the begotten director, um, in Shadow of the Vampire, um, Shrek is actually a vampire who's played by Willem Dafoe, and it's a crime that he did not win an Academy Award. For this, I mean, it's just absolutely terrible to me. Thanks to Dracula, Mirno, and Shrek, Nosferatu would seem to be the only silent film, the only silent that remains something of a cult film. Let me take that line again. That was really bad reading. Thanks to Dracula, Mirno, and Shrek, Nosferatu would seem to be the only silent that remains something of a cult film. Indeed, there is reason to believe that Nosferatu was designed to inspire a cult. The movie's main force was not Mirno, but the graphic artist and architect Albin Grau. I hope I'm not uh, mispronouncing that. And he, this I did not know at all. I'm learning stuff, guys. He was a serious occultist who not only produced, but designed the film, including Orlock. So Grau intended Nosferatu to inaugurate a series of supernatural dramas with a bang. His short-lived production company called Prana, which is Sanskrit for life force, spent much uh, spent as much on the movie's lavish premiere so that's interesting. So the, the budget of the movie was essentially spent on the premiere itself. And we all know what happened at the premiere. Very sad, tragic story. We'll see it in a minute. March 4th, 1922, which is, which happens to be two days away from now, making it a hundred years. Can you believe that? A hundred years of Nosferatu. Happy birthday, Nosferatu. That's great. Um, at Berlin's largest cinema, the Zupalast. The Zupalast. Oh, I see the fan. I mean, I see the, the pear man. It's on my phone. That's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, Zachula's got to bounce. Zach, thanks for dropping in. We appreciate your viewer support. We'll catch you next time, buddy.
Um, the mad costume party that followed the screening gave Nosferatu an underground camp reputation that still maintains. That's interesting. I did not know that. One might see it as a precursor to Kenneth Anger's early 50s Halloween party in Og... In Og... In Og... In Og <coughs> Sorry, guys. That's the COVID. Um, <clears throat> am, am I... Uh, tell me, am I a plague Jew? Should you stay away from me? Will I pass along the plague to you? Um, inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. I know I didn't pronounce that first word right. I'm not going to try it again. Anger, like Grau, was a fan of British Magus Alistair Crowley. What does Magus mean again? Uh, I think magician or something, right? Let's look that up. I know he's like a cult guy too. Uh, That means a member of a priestly caste of ancient Persia. Interesting. Um, Many of those involved in Nosferatu, including Murnau, Shrek, and the screenwriter, Henrik Galin, who I think he was Jewish. He was Jewish. He was Jewish. Um, <laughs> all right. Bye. Everybody's leaving my party. Where are you going? Bye. Oh, oh, he says, I'm ready to go, man. Take me out. I get it. Cause I just did the whole, ah, I'm a Jew. I'm a, I'm a plague Jew. Ah, I'm going to spread the plague everywhere. Ah, Nosferatu. Ah, Right, right, right. Sorry. Um, so screenwriter Henrik Galeen were associated with the hypothetical director Max Reinhardt, and Mirnau himself was gay. In film history, Nosferatu can be twinned with Fritz Lang's, Fritz Lang being another famous Jewish director from Germany, who also had to flee because of Hitler. Um, uh, Nosferatu can be twinned with Fritz Lang's Dr. Marbus, Mabus, the gambler, uh, which I've never seen. It's in my, it was in my Netflix, so I don't think they have it on Hulu anymore, but um, really, really, really awesome, uh, uh, which opened at the zoo, zoo Palast a month later. Uh, Mabus, too, was a supervillain, a secretive master manipulator of stock markets, currency and disguise obsessed with power and possessing the hypnotic ability to cloud men's minds. Mabus, I don't know if I'm saying, guys, am I pronouncing that right? I don't know. Mabus has no distinguishing physical characteristics, although one of his many getups is that of an elderly Eastern European Jewish peddler, and another is a practitioner of the so-called Jewish science psychoanalysis. Still, Such was the temper of the times, however, that one Munich critic described the criminal genius as the image of the eternal Jew. Mostly, however, Mabuse was promoted as and taken for a portrait of contemporary uh, Weimar Germany, politically unstable, beset with hyperinflation, rife with conspiracy, reeling from military defeat and the influenza pandemic, which mutilated war ven- uh, with mutilated war veterans, uh, a common sight place. So all of that stuff is happening when the, the Nazis rise to power, when all of this Jewish propaganda stuff, it's like in when times were crazy and hard, it became very easy to blame things on Jews. It became because why? Because it's something that had been done for time immemorial, going back to the Middle Ages, going back. Jews, you know why Jews are associated with money? Because our people were not allowed 
to have other kinds of jobs. In medieval Europe, we weren't allowed to do what everybody else did. The only way we could earn a living was by lending money. We became money lenders. And so, and, you know, Jews being, you know, the, the Jews, they worked hard. They studied, they believed in education and studied and all this sort of stuff. And they were prosperous because that's one thing that you can see throughout the millennium of the Jewish story, the, the overall Jewish story is that Jews face adversity. They work their asses off and they end up rising above uh, some sort of uh, what's it called? Um, not obstacle. What am I thinking of uh, the word? Not obstacle. Uh, they rise above. What's the word? Come on, guys. Somebody say it. Somebody say the word. What is the word? Um, they rise above oppression. Is it oppression? They rise above oppression and that sort of thing. Jews were, and, you know, and people resented Jews for having the money. They, people resented that Jews for owing them money, that sort of thing. And so things, you know, all these, these nasty things start to develop. Oh yeah. Jews, they, uh, they eat the blood of, they, they drink the blood of babies. They, uh, bake, bake bone, <laughs> they make bone, bone bread, whatever, you know, just whatever, that sort of thing. Adversity. Thank you. Uh, goat boy pockets. Sorry. That's what I meant to say. Persevere is good too. Lizzie, good, persevere is good too. Adversity is good. Both good words. Rise above adversity, that sort of thing. But with that sort of history in the way, way, way background, because it goes back hundreds of years, right? We can't blame what happened back then on what was happening in 1920s Germany. But with that in the background, in the back, in, in the background of the history, <clears throat> it becomes very easy to look at Jews as subhuman and it helps to look at sub Jews as subhuman when they're wearing, when they look like rats carrying plague, AKA the Spanish blue, uh, which is very similar to history repeating itself. Right. Uh, they had their own, they had their own controversies back then and their own divides and yada, 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 yada. Um, Mostly, however, uh, Mebus was promoted as and taken for a portrait of contemporary we Weimar Ge Germany. Oh, we already read that. Sorry. Blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> so this was this was the background, the back place, as we said, politically unstable, hyperinflation, lots of conspiracy, reeling from military defeat. Uh, you have a influenza pandemic. Uh, mutilated war veterans. And now here's this movie, Nosferatu, largely seen as morbid fantasy, tapped into an equally topical yet more ahistorical, ahistorical, sorry, ahistorical. What does the word ahistorical mean? Let's look it up. Let us look it up. Uh, lacking historical per... Um, <laughs> Biz says... You know, you don't have to entertain us when you're under the weather. I'm quarantined. I can't go anywhere. Like, you know what's funny? Uh, quick side story. I literally spent almost two years. I never got sick. I I'd never got, I never caught COVID. I was totally cool. I went to the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, drove out there. My movie, Romeo's Distress, was playing. You can watch Romeo's Distress, my feature length film on this channel, uncut and for free. It's a great way to support me and this channel without paying a cent. So go check it out. Go bookmark it. And uh, when I came back, I took a test this morning. I, I was totally had COVID. It's crazy. Right. Exactly. Lizzie lacking historical content uh, being a his, a historical uh, do do the five. Um, 
So, so Nosferatu was addressing a particular social need. Initially, Nosferatu was seen as a reflection of the Great War. Uh, Albin Grau said as much, comparing the conflict to a cosmic vampire drinking the blood of millions. But as noted by Freud's uh, British colleague, Ernest Jones, in his psychoanalytic analytic study of nightmares, vampire legends pro proliferate in periods of mass contagion. So does xenophobia. How about that? So once again, back in the day, people blamed Jews for the Black Plague. And then all, and then all of a sudden, um, you now have, once again, you have the, the Spanish influenza and contagion is rampant as all those conditions we send. And once again, the, the idea of Nosferatu, the Jew, being, being responsible for that. Interesting. Really upsetting when you think about it. Could you imagine if that's how it was today? It would be terrible. Absolutely terrible. The movie received mixed reviews. Evidently, leftist, leftist critics saw it as an attempt to stupefy the masses with supernatural fog, but would achieve another sort of notoriety as a cause celebre when F Florence Stoker took legal action against the unlicensed adaptation of her late husband's most endearing work. In 1925, a German court ordered all copies destroyed, but like the vampire Nosferatu, uh, traveled to other countries. And, uh, sorry, let me take, that's a terrible line. Let's take that again. Um, Dagger Love says he'd feel much better if I was wearing a mask. I have one right here, but then it would be harder to talk into the microphone. Can COVID be trans transferred electronically? We don't, we don't actually know. In, as I said, in 1925, a German court ordered all copies destroyed, but like the, Nos like the vampire, Nosferatu traveled to other countries and enjoyed a sort of twilight phantom existence. So here's where things get really cool and interesting. A print surfaced in a London film society in late 1928 and in New York uh, and sorry. Oh God, I can't read uh, a print surfaced in London film society in late 1928 and New York art cinema. Six months later, it's cult stature uh, burnished by its forbidden existence. Years later, the same eighth street movie house would be an early home for the Rocky horror picture show. So the birth of cult cinema began at the eighth street and like, like was whatever you want to call it. Um, crystallized in 1978 the rocky horror picture took about three years um so who or what is nosferatu's ancient tremendously powerful like so who or what sorry so who or what is nosferatu's ancient tremendously powerful creature a sort of humanoid ro what is this what, what why can't i read <coughs> oh my god Rain or shine, COVID be damned. Let's try this again. So who or what is Nosferatu's ancient, tremendously powerful creature, a sort of humanoid rodent given an imposing hooked nose who communicates with his minions in a mysterious code, which, of course, as you know, does include several Hebrew letters as well as the Star of David. Hello, it's in the fucking movie. 
It's in the movie. Hebrew. Ivrit. Ani medaber Ivrit. Kitsat Ivrit. Ani lomed be'olpan be'israel. Ve'rehov Benjamin Yehuda ve'2009. Did I freeze? I don't think I froze. I think you froze. In any case, um, so how about that? He's a, he's a humanoid rodent, right? Am I still frozen? Better not be frozen. I better not be frozen. Am I frozen? Someone answer me. I demand to know whether I am frozen or not. Um, before I continue, all right, whatever. Not here. No, I'm good. All right, cool. So anyway, um, oh, it's working. Okay, sorry guys, sorry, sorry that happens sometimes. So as we said, he's a humanoid rodent given an imposing hooked nose who communicates to his minions in a mysterious code, which includes several Hebrew letters as well as the Star of David, which is the symbol of my people, the Jews. And, a, and contaminating every space he occupies. Like, arri he, he arrives out of the east with a swarm of plague-bearing rats to feast on the blood of naive Aryans until destroyed through an act of Christian sacrifice by a virtuous woman. How about that? How about that? Arrives out of the east with a swarm of plague-bearing rats to feast on the blood of native Aryans until destroyed through an act of Christian sacrifice by a virtuous woman. I mean, look, I'm not condemning, I'm not condemning Nosferatu. I'm just saying, like, let's acknowledge what it represents and what it symbolizes underneath, like what it is, what it's connected to, what its history comes from. That's all I'm saying. I love Nosferatu. As I said, I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. I don't think it's not problematic for me. It is problematic for others. I would be lying if I said not. But like as as Angus here, as Angus here was talking about, you wouldn't want to walk around a reservation wearing a Redskins hat. It would be really offensive. Rightfully so. Um, the vampire recalls two mysterious slanders against European Jews. In, okay, so here you go. The vampire recalls two monstrous slanders against European Jews invoking both the blood libel. What is blood libel? That is like the root of anti-Semitism in, in, in Europe, in, throughout the centuries in, in Europe. Blood libel and the accusation of poisoning wells to spread disease that resulted in the widespread pogroms. Remember that word pogrom? And the near extermination of Jews throughout the Rhineland in the mid-14th century. So I did not know that. The near extermination of Jews throughout the Rhineland, which is Germany, in 1943. So there were pogroms even in Germany. What is a pogrom? An organized, so, sorry, here's a better definition of what a pogrom is, ready? The, the reason why I'm in America, the reason why my great-grandfather had to leave his home and everything that he knew and loved behind. An organized massacre of particular ethnic group, in particular that of Jewish people in Russia or Eastern Europe in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Interesting. 
So there you go. That resulted in widespread pogroms and the near extermination of Jews throughout the Rhineland in the mid 14th century. With the German economy bled dry by rampant inflation, the season of Nosferatu and Mabus also saw the assassination of foreign minister Walter Rathnow by right-wing terrorists who considered himself as the leading Jewish wire puller. So this guy was assassinated because he was one of the Jews pulling the strings behind 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 the Weimar Republic Republic. Moreover, in addition to the Spanish flu pandemic, the aftermath of the Great War brought tens of thousands of Aust Ostjuden to to Berlin. So Ostjuden, Juden is the word, German word for Jew, J-U-D-E-N, Juden. That's how you pronounce it. And you used to see that on the gold star, Ostjuden. So that's that means Eastern Jews in Germany. Now there's another word for our people. We have there's three types of Jews. You have Ashkenazi Jews. That's me. I'm an Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi means of Germanic descent. You have Mezrahim Jews. Mezrahim Jews stayed in the Middle East. They they were Babylonian. They're descendants of the Babylonian slaves. That my wife, that they're in, they operated. They they live in Iraq and stuff. My wife is half Mezrahim. The other half she is is Sephardim, Sephardic. She's a Sephardic Jew. Sephardic Jews went all the way up to Spain. And you know what happened in Spain in the 15th century? The Spanish in- Inquisition, where all Jews were either killed, forced to convert to uh, Catholicism, or had to flee the country. Do you know that there is a right of return for anybody who has Jewish, Spanish ancestry, where, you know, for a time being, they wanted Jews to come back to Spain. Even centuries removed, they wanted the descendants to come back. Thank you, Retro. I don't know what that was, but I appreciate your support, Retro Gem. Much appreciated, truly. Um, so you have you have Sephardim. So my children are Ashkenazi, Mezrahim, and Sephardim Jews, all together, all mixed into all, all together into one. Um, that they they have roots all over. It's amazing, ch- ch- uh, Jews of the world, as they say. Uh, Although the vampire's Jewishness now seems as obvious as the outsized nose on its face, it's striking that neither of the two leading commentators on the film, Siegfried, I'm so sorry, I'm butchering this name, Siegfried uh, Krasher and Lottie Eisner uh, note this fact. Both were Jews. Eisner is a super Jewy name. I can say Jewy. I think if you're not a Jew, you can't use the word Jewy. It's again the same thing with the N word. Like it's like one of those things. And again, that's not that doesn't mean that Jew is a pejorative. It just means like it's kind of like a I don't know. It's like a thing. I feel like you can't. I feel like you can't uh, do that. So here's Sid. Sid says, "Why didn't you marry a shiksa? A shiksa is a derogatory word for for a non-Jewish woman, um, and it's a very insulting word." Um, I don't know if it's very insulting. It's not a nice word. It's it's not a particularly nice word. So, but we all know that Sid is anti-Semitic or something of the sort, or at least doesn't have any problem throwing anti-Semitic things around. And so, unless Sid is a Jew as well, maybe he is. 
totally fine if he is. But um, he is a prime example of the things that we are kind of talking about a little bit, a little bit. Um, so then to Nosferatu. So Nosferatu's script was written by a Jew, which might explain also why that also explains why there is Hebrew symbols uh, uh, prevalent in the script. Although that wouldn't have been because of Henrik necessarily. That might have been because of Growl, the production designer. So I don't know. So Henrik Galeen, Galeen, Henrik Galeen, uh, a specialist in the uncanny whose previous screenplays included the Golem. So Dirk Golem was actually also written by Henrik. And the cast included several Jewish actors, most notably Alexander Granach, 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 who plays the vampire's henchman and was the foremost Jewish actor in Berlin. Generally supportive of Jewish culture, Galen was hmm, generally supportive of Jewish culture, though being a Jew himself. Galen was involved with the uh, with a troupe, like Vilna of uh, the Vilna troupe. Vilna Troops 1922 Berlin production of the Dubik. The Dubik, that's another Yiddish, uh, that's like another Yiddish myth, mythological uh, creature or thing. Um, there is no suggestion that Murnau or Grau, who weren't Jewish, were anti Semitic. Okay, so there it is. So, Slasher, um, where is Slash? I don't know if Slasher X is still here. He might have peeled out. But Slasher, that answers your question right there. <clears throat> no one is necessarily, it's not necessarily saying that they were anti-Semitic, or at least it can't be proven that they were anti-Semitic and that they were, in fact, collaborating with Jewish artists on Nosferatu. Nosferatu is created in part by Jews. However, it, it is taking from a lot of anti-Semitic tropes. You can't, it can't be denied. Winston Smith says, how do I feel about South Park jokes? Uh, mixed. I feel very mixed. Um, I love South Park. And, you know, the thing about South Park that I do love is that, like, you know, no, nothing is sacred in South Park. And it's almost like it's almost like the one time. And there are certain episodes where maybe like it doesn't work. But South Park is like that one time where, like, it's just totally OK to make fun of anybody. Maybe, maybe. Maybe because they're they're so ridiculous in the way that they make fun of others that it just they seem to be it seems to be like Teflon. They it just it just slides off them. So how do I feel about the South Park jokes? Particularly, I, I neither which way. What like about Kyle being a Jew? Sometimes maybe they take it too far. Um, I try my best to not let this stuff bother me anymore. If anything, I like to amplify it. Because it shows uh, to show other people that this stuff is real, because that's the that's the hardest problem with anti-Semitism. It's ignorance. It's that people are not aware that this stuff is here and that it exists and that if you shine a light on it, you can at least be aware of it. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that you have to fight it tooth and nail. I'm not saying that you, you have to just, you know, just just, you know, uh, uh, I was going to say disavow. Of course, you should disavow anti-Semitism. But like, you know what I mean? Like that, that you, it's not about maybe not necessarily having to take like a super active role, but at least being aware that it exists and that it's out there. And maybe some of, you know, the, you know, being understanding of, of these things, I guess is that's the best way to put it. I don't know. Uh, indeed 
the love of Murnau's life, which was a, a poet named Hans Erhembaum uh, Diegel, killed in the war, was the son of a Jewish banker. Of course, Bram Stoker's Dracula was already saturated with anti-Semitism, being a thrilling scare story about a blood-sucking parasite and a predatory uh, R-word. You know what I'm going to say, that that word, that that word that begins with the word rap. Just add add the rest of the word to the word rap, who associated with rats and bats and and terrified of the crucifix. So that is an interesting notion. The idea that like being terrified of the crucifix is not because you're a creature it is because you're a creature of the devil, but because you're a Jew and that Jews are terrified of Christian ideals or something. Um, here you go. Um, JD says doing or saying something with the intent of hurting a person is wrong, but with social media, the line has been blurred. Yeah, I would I you know, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And like I said, everything is subjective. And the problem with society today, the problem with this idea of like what cancel culture is and like just all this stuff is that like everything is in super black and white to one extreme or the other. There's no like in between ground. There's no like being like, "Hey, like this is kind of like ignorant. This is kind of like ignorant of its like historical ties, but like it doesn't necessarily mean intentional malice, even though it it does create malice as a byproduct. You know, that's a very what I just said. That's like a very that's not black and white. That's a very sort of like, uh, you know, nuanced thing. That's a nuanced thing. So. <coughs> um, OK. OK. By some accounts. Stoker based Dracula on Shylock. How did you know? How do you like that? There's Shylock again. Stoker based Dracula on Shylock as the character was performed by his friend, the actor, Sir Henry Irving. Um, Angus says things are black and white because they do not study and reflect. I yeah, man, I think that's a great way. I think that is a great way to put it. JD says, back in the day, we might call something gay, but it meant this sucks, not aimed at a person, but I see that it's still wrong. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty good example of what I was just talking about, JD. And if you go back to the beginning of this episode, we addressed the gay thing. We addressed the gay thing and using the F word and how it now is more like the N word and like how things have changed and how we, you know, the, the idea of enlightenment and realizing that maybe like this is like, you know, this doesn't work or the idea that that maybe if you're using the word gay, yeah, you're not coming from a place of malice towards gay people. But the fact of the matter is like gay people identify as gay. I am like saying, Hey, I'm a gay person. And you're, that's a noun. So now you're calling, you're using that noun in a negative way, a pejorative way. You are now adding negativity to what that thing represents. And that's what it is. Like that's, and yet there are people that are doing it, that are saying it, and they're not saying it to be hurtful or to be mean. They're just saying it because they're saying it because it's socially acceptable. And that is slowly, that's kind of changed over, over the years. Um, Lizzie says, social media has given everyone a voice with little fear of consequences. People say things on the internet they probably wouldn't say to other people's faces. Sure, there's that too. Uh, Mick says that I sound like the guy from Annoying Orange. I've never watched 
annoying orange. I kind of look like an annoying orange because uh, I have this light on me, although it's I think it's more of a red light than an orange light. But OK, Mick, that I'll, I'll take it. Um, uh, Lizzie says, I know uh, I know that a general statement, but it's more think more. It's more or less true. And J.D. agrees, ag agrees, agrees. Oh, whoops. Whoa. Didn't mean to say that. Didn't mean to flash that. That is, let's not, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Okay. Now, uh, so nor is there any evidence that Hitler liked or even saw Nosferatu. And yet Mein Kampf, published in 1925, makes multiple references to Jews as vampires, bloodsuckers, and parasites, as well as uh, that race which suns the which shuns the sunlight. So how about how about that? So in Mein Kampf, Jews are referred to as vampires, bloodsuckers, parasites. Hmm. Uh, these and similar metaphors were picked up by followers like the Nazi ideologue uh, Albert Rosenberg, who repeatedly used quasi biological terms to characterize Jews as a vampire back bacillus infecting their German host. Once war broke out, the tone grew even more shrill, as in the 1943 Nazi pamphlet, The Jewish Vampire Brings Chaos to the World. The vilest of Nazi propaganda films, The Eternal Jew, released in 1940, specifically compared Eastern European Jews to a plague of rats and ended with a blood-draining sequence of ritual slaughter for kosher meat. In his analysis of the most lavish example of Nazi anti-Semitism called Jew Sus, the scholar Eric Rentschler uh, persuasively argued that Sus combined aspects of Mabus and Nosferatu, the great villain of Nazi cinema, was a specter from the Weimer, 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 ugh, suck dude, Cinema uh, refracted through it's refracted. The cinema is refracted through a Nazi prism. Yet even as their imagery was employed by Nazi propagandists, neither Marbus nor Nosferatu were can canonical, canonical, can canonical, canonical. You you guys know I have a learning disability, right? Like you know I can't read. Like I I can't literally cannot read. I cannot pronounce words. Canonical, canonical. Canonical, whatever. Um, the guy who least likes to read now reading all the time on the internet. I like to read. What I mean is I'm not good at reading is what I mean. Oh, that's true. Maybe Dagger's right. Maybe I have COVID brain fog. I am reading this while infected with COVID. <laughs> Dagger, you're funny. Um, and it's true. On the contrary, Grau was forced to leave Germany not as a Jew, but as an occultist. In 1942, one Nazi screenwriter argued for the need to protect the public from the Weimar supernaturalism, citing Nosferatu in particular. Uh, what does this fear of contamination tell us? A few weeks ago, I participated in an online discussion of Nosferatu organized by the Los Angeles group called Yiddish, Yiddishkeit? Yiddishkeit. One of the last questions put to the panel concerned Nosferatu's use value today. So now we're talking about Nosferatu in today's terms, right? 
uh, begging the question as to whether art must be useful, one need only have eyes to see Nosferatu. Interesting. Huh. Wait, so one of the last questions put to the panel uh, concerned Nosferatu's use value today. Begging the question as to whether art must be useful, one need only have eyes to see Nosferatu as a great as great filmmaking and an interest in 20th century history to recognize it as a revealing social document makes total sense but more than a prime example of that imagery nosferatu illuminates a primal fear that of foreign contagion this fear is neither restricted to Nazis nor solely fixated on Jews Hitler came to power in 1933 the same year brought the bride of Fu Manchu one of the more popular series of pulp novels founded on Anglo-Saxon racial terror of the so-called Yellow Peril, in which the evil Chinese mastermind infects the south of France with a plague virus. Earlier this month, the New York Times reported that years before the current pandemic we're in, uh, Trump's chief advisor on immigration, Stephen Miller, a Jew. Ugh, I fucking hate it when Jews give us a bad name, dude. Just sucks. It sucks. Um, persistently linked foreign migrants with diseases. So here is an example of your token Jew, uh, perfectly capable of doing the same thing that had been done to his people, you know. And, you know, it's interesting. Stephen Miller's family was terribly embarrassed by Stephen Miller's actions during that administration. And uh, I, his parents, either his parents or his uncle, somebody published um, like a like a medium piece, like a like a like an essay piece about Stephen Miller and uh, about Stephen Miller's family, where they come from and why his actions in today's administration are so shameful for a Jew. And it's true. He is a shameful Jew, a, a Jew that gives the rest of us a bad name, just like Jared Kushner, like uh, just really hate that guy. Um, OK. Uh, toxic swamp is going to correct some of our things. He says Crowley is pronounced dot, dot, dot. All right. He's going to cut. We'll come back to him. He's going to give us some phonetical uh, pronunciations. Uh, where, where were we? Where were we? Where were we? Persistently linking foreign migrants with diseases, including influenza and the mumps, in an attempt to have immigration declared uh, a health emergency. Back in March, the New York office of the FBI issued an alert that a white supremacist group had concocted a plan to spread the pandemic among Jews, presumably so that Jews would be blamed for infecting the general population. The, the plot was 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 ugh. the plot the plot was lunatic but also logical it's insane it's insane if anybody wants to read more about that i'm going to actually put that in the comments because that is uh that, that that's some um it, uh that is some educational reading hold on one second the main man game all right here we go so check it out. This is that article. I'm not going to deviate from what we're what we're doing here, but there it is. It's in there. Um, gamer uh, retro gem media says, "Are there any examples of the media that stirs racial panic nowadays?" Well, that's a that is a long 
question that <laughs> I can't. That is a long question that I'm not going to answer right now, but yes. Okay, so Dagger says Crowley is pronounced like crow, but Ozzy says it the other way, so it will stay that way. Okay. Okay, okay. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good point. Get out, get out might do it. Good point. Good, good. That's good. That was a good one. I wasn't even thinking of that. Hmm. Huh. Huh. Um. We're we're losing it, guys. We're losing it. The plot was a lunatic. Okay. We're at the end of the article. Uh, Otto uh, Fenichel, who joined the Psychoanalytic Institute of Berlin the same year as Nosferatu's release, later wrote that xenophobia and anti-Semitism were a form of projection. The hatred and fear of foreigners can be expressed in a single sentence. One's own unconscious is also foreign. The frightening power of Nosferatu is that it dramatizes one plague and embodies another. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal read. And uh, we're going to move on. We have more. We have more here. We have more here for you. Um, I think we're actually doing pretty good on time because I thought I really, really thought that this was going to go. I thought we would be like two and a half hours deep by now. But we're not. Um, we're not. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Um, Toxic Swamp says, like the bird, Crowley and Dibok. Dibok is Debok. Debok? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's Dibok. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, listen, I, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. But I feel like I feel like it might be Dibok. I'm doing fine, dude. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. The support here let's let's keep moving on let let us let us keep moving on <clears throat> if you're new to this channel please consider subscribing uh liking this video leaving a comment um all of that stuff is very important in supporting the channel oh boy this is a <laughs> why did i do this to myself this is a big this is a big one it's not a big and it's just dense and Thick and goopy. Hold on. Let me take off my jacket. The um the ibuprofen is definitely doing the trick though. Uh hold on. One second. Uno momento. Uno momento. All right. So so Toxic Swamp actually says the rabbi in the original film from 197 pronounced it as D D book. Okay. Hey. Listen, I, uh, I, I, I am, I, I, I yield, I yield to, I yield to what you're saying. <coughs> Woo. All right, let's do the next one. The next one is, this is going to be super duper. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's redundant. Maybe we've hit it all already. Oh, JD. Thank you so much. JD. Thank you for the support. I, I truly, bro, thank you. It's greatly appreciated. Um, thank you, JD. JD has been uh, along with um, Toxic Swamp and Biz and everybody. All you guys have been really great. Really appreciate you, truly. Um, the money really helps on the channel. Um, <clears throat> let's move on. Okay, so this one is called. I'm, guys, I might skim this. If it, it I don't want to. I don't want to uh, be redundant here. If it's too, come on, you stupid thing. 
you take my hand. You'll never know another quite like it. And if you do, you'll see that I'm a lonely one. Lost my soul deep inside oh and it's so black and cold deep inside i love that (laughs) that's a very roy orbison song by the way that song love that song okay this is super small print and i am wearing glasses really dumb idea Really, really dumb idea to wear these glasses in the dark, but what can I do? This is called Plague, Shadows, and Anti-Semitism, Rethinking the Place of Nosferatu in the Classroom. So this is cool because um, it, it, it's it's coming from things from an educational standpoint in the classroom. One image from Nosferatu is so fiercely prevalent in today's horror and Halloween repertoire that most people know the scene even if they've never seen the film. Count Orlock, played by Max Schreck, rises with the help of his only with only his mind like a plank from the floor of the cargo hold of the ship that has ferried him from Transylvania to Germany. Yet few modern audiences who watch the film in movie halls or at home recognize this moment as warning repeated throughout the film about the dangers that foreigners, especially Jews, pose to civilization, that is, Christendom. Uh, This sign of Orlok's ability to suspend the laws of science and establishes him as an unnatural creature to be feared, a reference clear to the filmmakers and the contemporary viewers. Over a century after the film's release, it is worth re-examining Nosferatu as a cultural artifact about anti-Semitism and xenophobia, and not only as an example of... uh, of prevalent German attitudes directed by F.W. Marino and adapted by uh, Henrik Galeen in Galeen, 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 in 1922, Nosferatu, uh, Nosferatu is the tale of a Transylvanian count. We already know what the tale is. I'm not going to tell you the film's audiences now and then recognize the storyline because it's Dracula. Um, uh, but they could not re- receive the rights to make the film, so they changed things around. This problem did not prevent them from pursuing the project. First, they changed all the characters' names, right? I'm not going to go through that. We all they, The characters' names change. Uh, the action in the film takes place in Germany, right, instead of England. Uh, and the ending changed in Nosferatu. Nonetheless, the novelist's widow, Florence Stoker, successfully sued in the German court of law to destroy all copies of the film after its release, a key legal decision in both German economic and cinematic history. Fortunately for historians, a few illegal copies survived in France and the United States. So I guess it was more than one. It was, it was a few. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Lizzie has joined as a member of, of the Frumis channel. And I just want to say thank you very much to Lizzie jd toxic swamp all you guys fucking thank you so much for your support it's truly great look who it is and look who else is here fucking rue is in the house rue i miss you man how are you buddy how are you i feel like i haven't talked to you oh man you got everybody here but huh. um in any case lizzie seriously thank you for joining really appreciate your support um check out some of the the, the members only con- uh content that we have on the channel Sometimes we have, you know, early, uh, early premieres and some stuff is exclusive to members only. Um, uh, 
Biz says to say uh, to that, I say, don't feel bad when someone gives the community a bad name. They're only giving themselves a bad name. I think she's referring to Stephen Miller giving Jews a bad name. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, Wilson Smith says, as far as the big screen and cinema, it must have been awesome to have your film play in the theater. Yes, Romeo's Distress, dude, it was awesome. And I totally got COVID. <laughs> and it was worth it. It was worth the, it was worth that price. Uh, so it wasn't one copy that survived. It was multiple copies that survived. Uh, Nasiratu serves as a valuable teaching tool in discussions about anti-Semitism in Europe for both European survey courses as well as upper-level German history seminars. That's fascinating. So it's used as an anti-Semit. It's used as an anti-Semitic teaching tool. Yet the most important theme of the film, anti-Semitism, must be contextualized within a larger historical and geographical setting. Certainly the film codes Orlok as the stereotypical Eastern European Jew with extended shots of Orlok's long and pointed nose, the use of extra shadow to literally darken his bushy eyebrows against a large pallid forehead, the the costuming that made Orlok's lack of normal masculine musculature apparent. Um, the German filmmaker team did not create this image. Stoker had provided them with the features to portray Orlock as Jewish, because as we've previously read, the anti-Semitic origins of Nasratu also tie to the original novel written by, by Bram Stoker. Uh, Lizzie, thank you. You love all my content. That's wonderful. That makes me happy. And as long as you keep watching, I'll keep making it, man. Really, truly. Or Yeah. <laughs> Um, Rue says, I'm always here, bro. Busy working, but I always listen. That makes me Rue. If, if I could give you a pound and like a bro hug, I totally fucking would right now. You're the, you're the best man. And I hope that you are well. I hope your son is well. I hope everybody that all your peoples, I hope you guys are all doing well. And, uh, yeah, just wanted to say that. Um, Rue, we're coming up on the two year anniversary of this channel. <gasps> Oh my God, guys, 18 days. It's 18 days until two years of this channel and its content. I didn't even realize we're coming up on two years. Can you believe that? That that is crazy. That is frigging crazy. That's nuts. All right, sorry. Let's get back to it. Getting all gushy here. Um, uh, Nasratu serves as a valuable teaching tool. Right. We already said that. We already said that. Um, uh, where are we? We got lost. I got lost in the in the thing. Stoker. Okay. So this is what's fascinating. The German filmmaking team did not create this image of the, the Jewy image of Nasratu. Stoker had provided them with the features to portray Orlock as Jewish. Uh, Galen's script closely follows Stoker's description of Dracula whom Stoker describes in the following manner. Dracula's face was a strong, very strong aquiline, aquiline with a high bridge of a thin nose and a and peculiarly arched nostrils with a lofty domed forehead. As Matthew Biberman has observed, uh, has observed English literature from the medieval period to the early modern era gradually feminized images of Jews. 
thus a useful exercise for stu students to learning about the anti-Semitism of this pre-World War II period should not stop at comparing the image of Orlok in Nosferatu with the later Nazi anti-Semitic propaganda. For example, the marketing material for de <laughs> these words, Der Erwig, Der, this is German that I just can't say. This is a film, I guess. Um, a, a, pro a promotional film, Der Erwig Jude, Jude, uh, directed by Fritz Hippler, Fritz Hippler, in uh, 1940, or images from the anti-Semitic children's book, Der Giftplitz, Der Giftplitz. Oh my God. I kind of want to read that book. Wait, wait, wait. That's crazy. Der Gift Pilz. That's nuts. Um, let's see. Um, Paul asks, is it okay for anti-Semites to watch your movie Romeo's Distress? Yes. It's totally okay. And you're more than welcome to. I would love that. Um, it's free on this channel, guys. Make sure that you watch. Let, let the ads play over it. Oh, here we go. We got we got a we got a nut bar here. He's saying he's doing a little emoji of a bank. He says, "You have seen who you pray to, and I cast it off. All you worship a black frog's head, Allah. Oh boy, he says the prophecies give to the remnant of Israel and the." 144,000 children, all Jewish, who do not use TV. Bad boom, boom, boom. Mark of 10. The Oh, my Lord. Okay, Wesley. Okay, Wesley. <laughs> okay, Wesley. Um, here, here's a sane person for a second. Toxic Swamp says, I always wondered why there is anti-Semitism. The answer I got was maybe because they killed Jesus. I thought, oh, great. All this hatred over mythology. Oy vey. No. No, it's not that. It's not that. I don't know if you missed it earlier. It comes from resentment. It comes from resentment. It comes from resentment of the Middle Ages. As I said, I'll repeat it super quick, super condensed. Jews were the money lenders. Shit, I got knocked out for a second. I'm back. Can you see me? So much happened just now. So much happened. <coughs> Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got a shout out. Jake Bailey also became a member. So we have two new members. Thank you so much, new members. Please check out for sponsored content. We appreciate. Where did I freeze, guys? Gosh darn it. Guys, where did I freeze? Where did I freeze? Jake, I see you just became a pizza punk. Welcome to the pizza punk club. No, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. Much appreciated. I'm good now. Guys, where did I freeze, though? I need to know where I froze. Stupid Wi-Fi. Just tell me where I froze so I can continue my little tirade. Guess people just want other to blame uh, an easy answer. E uh, wait, what? Am I freezing again? Gosh darn it. The stream is getting the stream is getting lost here. Hold on. Ah, no, I got to go back up in the comments. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So it's not yeah. So so this is just one of many things, though. Toxic swamp. This is just one of many things. The um, 
anti-Semitism, it's not just about like blaming the Jews for killing Jesus. That's just one of many things that are used like to to uh, for anti-Semitism. It comes from we, we have always been scapegoats. It comes from the fact that, again, as I said, um, Jews tend to be well-educated, hardworking people. Um, Jews were the money lenders, and that created resentment when you owe money to Jews in that kind of way, that sort of thing. Um, it's a whole, there's so much to say about it. There's so much to say about it. Um, Biz says, well, toxic, it's because humanity has been a bunch of a-holes since probably like the caveman days or something. Well, I, I think it's also, listen, it's not just the Jews. There are lots of different groups that are, that are, that are demonized. Look at what happened to the, uh, the Romas, the, um, I don't know what you call them because that that word is not a nice word to use. Romas, you call them the Romas. Uh, that that they they have also been prosecuted as well. They they were prosecuted in the Holocaust too. You know what I'm saying? All right, we're back. I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, and ultimately, get uh, people just want another to blame. But yes, the passion plays in the middle in the Middle Ages were all about how the Jews killed Jesus. It was determined that the Jews were the reason that Jesus uh, went, which is kind of funny too, be considering the fact that Jesus himself was a Jew, supposedly. I was explaining where anti-Semitism stems from. And like I said, it's that's where it stems from. That's where some of it stems from. Um, right, money lenders. <laughs> I'm super high. <laughs> Makes like super high listening to a guy with COVID ramble about anti anti-Semitism. Had some extra scratch from my Jewy tax return, right? <laughs> this Nazi punks can f off. That's hilarious. Um, medieval times, uh, Jewish people were money lenders. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not gonna say that word because it's not a nice word. Um, that's a really nasty word. I read Mouse and Mouse Two. Uh, my first semester in college, English composition, 2005, was 17 years ago. So we were in college at the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we were talking about mouse earlier and how, you know, how how it all works. All right. Let's get back to it, guys. We're, we're almost through here. We're almost through. Uh, I want to thank everybody so much for 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 this has been a really good conversation, really good um, uh, symposium. Yes, you had you had Jewish jewelers. My my wife's grandfather, he comes from Karkuk, Iraq. Okay, his name is Sammy, and his parents had to flee Karkuk, Iraq, because uh, his father was a banker who was killed for his money by a Muslim Arab, and so they, at eight years old, Sammy, uh, after his father was murdered, they took whatever they had on them, they left all of their wealth behind in Karkuk, Iraq, and they, they had to go to Israel, where they where he lived for the rest of his life. He's still alive. Baruch Hashem. But what's amazing is that, once again, it's the same thing. Same exact shit. Same exact shit. Family left Italy around World War II. A lot of shifting around <laughs> at that time. So, so, so I so the brain fog does it ever go away? Because I think I'm suffering. I have COVID right now, Jake. I don't know if you were here earlier in the stream. Does it ever go away? Am I like just doomed to have like this this problem? 
Uh, all right, all right, guys, I'm, I'm I'm getting back. Let's get back to this. Uh, so so as we said, so as we said, where were we? Where were we? We were talking about how this is fascinating. So English literature from the medieval period to the early modern era gradually feminized images of Jews. Thus, a useful exercise for students to learn about anti-Semitism in this pre-World War II. Right, we got down to the children's book. So there's an anti-Semitic children's book called Der. Gift pilts, der gift pilts. After juxtaposing Stoker's written description of Dracula with the cinematic version of Orlock, a reading of George Orwell's 1945 essay, Anti-Semitism in Britain, provides insight into the history of Jewish immigration to England and the attitudes towards not only Jews, but anti-Semitism and nationalism. Orlock, Dracula, and Jews embody the other and the xenophobic fears towards immigrants. Again, a trope that's easily followed in a larger and longer historical European context. The connection of the Jewish community with plague and death is embedded throughout the narrative of Nosferatu. The plague follows Orlok from Transylvania in the east to Weisborg in the west, suggesting the dangers of the invasion of the Eastern Jew into Western Europe. Orlock literally brings destruction, decay, and death in his wake. At each port, the ship stops in the rashes of uh, stops in the rashes of death occur, and the entire crew of the ship dies before it arise, arrives. Um, although the victims seem to be victims of the Black Death, the intertitles explain that all victims appear to have the same strange wounds on their necks. Uh, the origin of which is still a mystery to, doc to doctors. Orlock thus spreads a kind of plague specific to him and by extension his kind. Moreover, he carries this plague in his coffin bed filled with Transylvanian soil, thus furthering ideas about Jews' animal-like behavior and filth. To clearly seal his fate as a non-Christian beast, the victim's unidentifiable wounds suggest an allusion to a biblical mark of the beast. Referring again to the, Stoker, to the Stoker connection, to the film's plot of the status of 19th century Britain as one of the most important ports of trade came at a price. The expansion of sea trade with other parts of the world meant that an increase in diseases that arrived at ports led to a major public debate about the role of the port authority in keeping Britain safe from diseases, certainly, but also from their foreign uh, carriers. Wow. Um, the medium of film, of course, permitted further articulations of images of Jews more effectively than in books. Here lie the beginnings of specifically German tropes about, not, about Jews that provide a bridge between 19th century anti-Semitism in Europe, in European contexts, and anti-Semitic imagery of Nazi Germany. Hmm. Let me take that a line. Here lie the beginnings of specifically German tropes about the Jews that provide a bridge between the 19th century anti-Semitism, so that's bridging 1800s, uh, in European contexts, and anti-Semitic imagery that would come in the 20th century. 
uh, via Nazi Germany. It, it combines them together. In one of the most ominous scenes, Orlok's shadow acts as his agent. His shadow hand stretches out from his body to attack Ellen and squeeze her breast until she faints, thus violating her in a manner that neither uh, that neither she nor her friends and family can protect her against. Orlok thus not only spreads the plague, but attempts to usurp Hutter's place with his wife, which puts her purity into question. The, the shadow is integral to Nosferatu. Uh, an intertinal admonishes, beware that this shadow does not engulf you like a demonic nightmare. This image of a Jewish shadow as an evil, monstrous rape rapper shouldn't have said that word we know what word it is and and killer later found expression in nazi propaganda claims of a jewish shadow government claims about an unseen hidden force that permitted jews um to violate and take over the world appeared in multiple nazi posters and writings An easily accessible example of this concept is in the 1939 excerpt, The Jewish Problem, by Max Eichler, one of the many sources available online uh, in the German propaganda archive. So so, uh, how about that? How about that? Um, Let's look at some of these comments. Uh, I bought that. Uh, oh, but I thought that it was Romans. Yes, I mean, uh, yes. Historically, it's the Romans. The Romans are the ones that crucified Jesus, but the Jews are blamed. The Jew that the Jews manipulated the situation, because, and I don't know too much about about Christianity, but I have spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. I've been to the place where Jesus was buried. I walked the stations of the cross. I, um, I, you know, all 13 stations or 12 stations or whatever it was, I, I saw all that stuff. Saw a place where he was resurrected on Easter, all that stuff. And what's interesting is, um, what's interesting is that the, the thing about Jesus or the thing that like, that I think people get hung up on is that like, so forget about what, what, forget about any sort of religious context of Jesus. I'm talking about him as a historical figure if he existed in the way that he supposedly existed um, because who honestly really knows anything um, that he was this dude with super radical ideas who basically told everybody love one another. He had these teachings, love your neighbor, all that stuff. And all the people revolted because he claimed to be the son of God, right? Something like that. And then, um, and the Romans, they didn't like that, and they they strung him up. They 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 made him drag the cross. The cross was a form of execution back then, right? Wasn't it was a torture device? And that's Jesus suffering for the sins of all mankind, right? Something like that. Um, but Jews are 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 blamed because you know that he was a Jew and that he was amongst other Jews, and that the other Jews rejected his teachings. Something like that. I don't know. But that that is supposed to mean that Jesus is responsible, uh, that Jews are responsible for Jesus' death. I do know, and I don't want to speak about other religious groups, but I'll just say there are other religious groups that do believe that Jesus was killed by the Jews. But it is a 
It is an it is an anti-Semitic myth that was super popularized in the medieval times. That's when that really became prevalent. And um, I honestly don't know enough about the history going back 2000 years in Jerusalem to, to really tell you more than that. Um, but for instance, why was why was Mel Gibson considered to be an anti-Semite and all this or like what besides what he literally all the stuff that he said as a drunk guy? Uh, including one of the most inappropriate misogynist, misogynistic, yet also at the same time, incredibly hilarious things, totally inappropriate. But like the just the notion of a drunk Mel Gibson saying this to a police officer, like blows my mind. Like, I don't know. I, it's just ridiculous. <coughs> um, but he made a movie called Passion of the Christ, which the Jews, which is based on a passion play. Passion plays come from medieval Europe and the Jews are blamed for when the Jews were blamed for the killing of Christ. Why were the Jews blamed for killing of Christ? Because it's like, oh, hey, look, all these Jewish moneylenders, fuck them, you know, for being for being so prosperous. Um, Toxic Swamp says, I think anti-Semitism is a result of jealousy because Jews ultimately win. They, they are. I don't But how could you say that Jews aren't the smartest people? I don't don't know how to qualify that. They've been awarded 24% of all the Nobel Prizes in science research fields. I mean, I I don't know, I guess, but I I don't know. See, I don't like that either because that that abides by that same logic is like what other people say in terms of like, you know, uh, I don't know. I feel like that that's not subjective enough. I do think that it, I do believe this. I do believe this 100%. I believe that, that culturally going all the way back to the teachings of the Torah, Jews believe in education. They believe in working hard and they believe in, you know, they have this, they have, they're they're motivated, that sort of thing to be productive. And that has led to them finding success on their own, no matter what the causes may be in the case of medieval Europe. Oh, you can't have land. You, or you can't own land or you can't farm land. Fine, we'll become the money lenders. And, and learning, how, and I, as far I'm not, don't quote me on this, but I think Jews were a literate population in medieval times. People generally could not read. If you, if you were in the clergy, if you were in the church, you learned how to read the Bible, but the average person, the average Christian did not know how to read. I believe Jews did know how to read back then. And that impartially because they were money lenders and they needed to know how to keep track of the books and things like that. And so that led to this form of education and that in turn led to prosperity and that in turn leads to resentment. That that's the best I can do off the top of my head. I, again, I'm not a scholar on these things. I do not claim to be an authority, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Toxic Swamp continues, while Jews currently make up approximately 0.2% of the world's population, they are the funniest, (laughs) hence all our favorite comedians, in my opinion, Jewish women are the sexiest. Um, (coughs) one thing is for certain, we are, there's an incredibly small amount of Jews left in the world. Um, we we only make up 0.2% of the world population. There are 14 million Jews in the world. Half of the 14 million Jews live in America. Um, another 8 million, sorry, there's 6 million Jews in America. There are eight, no, 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 that's wrong. 6 million Jews in America, 6 million Jews in 
Israel or 7 million Jews in Israel. And then the rest of the Jews are spread throughout the world. And that's it for all in, of all the thing of, of everything. We're a very, very small population. I did not know Amy Winehouse. Yes. And yes, all of those women are, are gorgeous, beautiful women, especially Sarah Silverman has always been the apple of my eye. Gal Gadot, of course. <laughs> Robbie wants to know. Okay, so this is the truth. And I hope I don't offend any Christians. And I did not do this, by the way. I, but for anybody who's Christian, I don't want to offend any Christians. I did think for a second, I thought about the idea of like, since I was going to be in Jerusalem over the summer, I was like, I was like, oh man, you know, it'd be really fun. You know, like in, in ode to Danzig himself, you know, who we love here on the channel that I would play snakes of Christ in Jerusalem. Cause I'm like, has anybody ever played the song snakes of Christ in Jerusalem? Think about it. It's been 30 years. Think about J Jerusalem is an international um, uh, uh, destination. Millions and millions of people pass through Jerusalem have any one of them had Danzig to Lucifuge on their, in their audio collection. And when they were, <laughs> when they were at the church of the Holy Sepulcher, which is where Jesus was buried, did they play snakes of Christ? I don't, I don't friggin' know. I, I, I don't friggin' know. Um, but yes, I made that joke over the summer because we, we, we all love Danzig. Um, pretty funny. Um, yes, because the first version of the Bible wasn't it written in wasn't written until 30 A.C.E. or A.D., depending on what you're thinking. Oh, so you're saying so I don't know what you mean. 30 years. So 30 years after Christ's death, the first Bible was written. Um, you know, Toxic Swamp doesn't like Mel Gibson. I got to tell you, I know I shouldn't like Mel Gibson for a lot of reasons like I, as a guy, I think he's got a lot of problems, and I, I most certainly don't con I most certainly condemn everything that he's ever said about Jews and black people and women, and like he's said a lot of things that I don't like. Um, he's also uh, a, a, a raging alcoholic who struggled with all those sorts of things, which I do not excuse. Um, but I love Mel Gibson movies, dude. I love a motherfucking love Apocalypto. I love Mad Max. By the way. I think the cat's out of the bag. I could say this now. I'm going to be at the Mahoney Drive-In Theater uh, conducting a Q&A with Vernon Wells, who plays Wes in Mad Max, uh, The Road Warrior, uh, both nights. Uh, the first night is Mad Max 2 and uh, Mad Max and Mad Max 2. Second night is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and Mad Max Fury Road. And I'm going to be, I don't know if I'm doing both Q&As or if I'm just doing one Q&A, but I'm going to be, I think I'm doing both. I'm going to be conducting a Q&A with Vernon Wells himself. Wes, fucking love Mad Max. I don't know how we start. Oh, we talked about Mad Max because of Mel Gibson. Because I'm a huge Mad Max fan and Mel Gibson is Mad Max. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, Angus says, in my opinion, the best way to break down barriers is to get a passport and travel. It's the best to visit smack dab with. I, um, Angus, I totally fucking agree with you. I totally agree with you. Not only do I agree with you, that's what Henry Rollins does. That's why I love listening to Henry Rollins. He goes to all these places that are like considered to be like real bad places. And he just like, he goes and he meets the people because people, people themselves, like when we think of a place being bad, we think of it's bad because it like might, maybe it has a bad leader or a bad government doing bad things. But like the people on a people level, everybody is Everybody is just people, man. 
Everybody is just people living their life. Everybody has their own forms of hospitality. And you hear time and time again, as Henry Rollins travels the world, about how everybody approaches him and is just so nice to him and blah, blah, blah. And just like the hospitality that he, that he encounters all the time. And while I have not traveled to nearly the amount of countries that Henry Rollins have traveled, but I've been to a bunch of different places where I've experienced all sorts, all sorts of kinds of hospitalities. And I would say that, that it's true. I would say that it's a small fraction. It is a small fraction of, of, of what Henry Rollins has seen on, the, on a macro level. When I was in Egypt about 12 years ago, uh, 12 years, yeah, about 12 years ago. And man, it was such a, it was a friggin' trip. And the people there were fucking awesome. They were amazing. They were super fucking nice, you know? It didn't help the fact that we came from Israel, which used to have a big beef with with Egypt. But that's a whole nother story for another day. I'm not going to get into that. Um, my my grandma took all her grandkids to see Passion of the Christ. It was very popular amongst all sorts of Christian groups. I mean, it, it did a lot. It did a lot of. It, it did a lot, a lot of business. Toxic Swamp wants Mel Gibson to be canceled, as well as Mark Wahlberg. Why Mark Wahlberg? Out of curiosity, um. Toxic swamp shit. Yeah, there were so many. There were like church churches would take buses. Churches would take buses, busloads of kids to go see uh, Passion of the Christ. Apparently, it's really bloody. I've never seen it. I really should just watch it just to check it out, see what it's about. Um, Angus says, I've been to two countries which have corrupt police, Saudi Arabia and Indonesia, and the people were very nice. Exactly. I'm sure every I'm sure you encountered people and they saw that you were a travel because, you know, what's an interesting thing. Um, you know, what's very, very interesting, like you when you encounter when you encounter other people, you, you encounter universal hospitality. It exists everywhere in various forms. There's no place that you're going to go, I think, for the most part. I don't know who knows what North Korea is like. Oh, those people friggin' suffer. Um, like you go to, but you just go, you go everywhere and everybody has their own form of like hospitality for travels, travelers, traveler, hospitality, that kind of thing. Um, Lizzie says that he beat up an Asian guy when he was young. Guy is still blind in one eye. I think, oh, you know, I think I heard, I think I heard about that. Marky Mark Wahlberg got that hate crime expunged from his record, so it never happened. You know who else? Yo, you know who else did some really, really fucked up shit? That was meant to be sarcasm, by the way. Yeah, I, I know. I definitely know it was sarcasm. You know what's really fucked up shit? Um, fucking, uh, uh, what's his face? Matt, um, what's his name? Uh, the uh, Ferris Bueller. Uh, Matt, um, not Matt. What's his name? COVID brain. What is the, what is the name? What is the name uh, of the guy? <laughs> Toxic Swamp is on a rant. He's ranting. What is the name of the guy? Uh, Matthew Broderick. That's his name. Matthew Broderick um, uh, ran someone over with his car and paid $180 in a fine. He never like went to jail for killing someone in the 80s. Crazy stuff. Rebecca Gayhart, she killed someone too. Crazy, crazy what these people can get away with. Um, 
<laughs> Passion of the Christ must have been popular in Bronson M.O. I don't know. I did like South Park's. I d- loved South Park's take on Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Gibson. That was fucking great. The Plague Follows. We already saw that. We already did that. The medium of film. The medium of film, of course, permitted further uh, articulations of images of Jews more effectively than in books. Here lie the beginnings of specific German tropes about Jew. Oh, we already read that part. Anti-Semitic, one of the most ominous scenes. Yeah, we already read that part. We already read that part. All right, that's it. I think that's the end of that one. That's the end of that one. We're almost at the end, guys. Um, Nosferatu provides the opportunity to discuss the evolution of anti-Semitic images and the ideas in Europe and Germany prior to World War II Nazi propaganda. These ideas, as demonstrated by an in-depth examination of Nosferatu as an adaptation of Stoker's novel, were not unique to German society or cinema. Nosferatu has remained a staple of courses uh, on modern German and Holocaust, on, on modern Germany and the Holocaust, with a few changes to traditional approaches to teaching Nosferatu. The film can take discussions of anti-Semitism and xenophobia beyond a few famous scenes that serve as visual aids for a lecture into an investigation of the film as one link in a development of anti-Semitic thought in Europe. Stop it. Are you serious, Robbie? Robbie, you have to be joking me. Is that true? You I you can't be serious. He he ran him over, but he didn't kill him, did he? Um that's nuts. All right, we, we're we're at the end, guys. We're getting to the end. We're getting to the end here. This was such a good episode, everybody. I'm glad I'm glad you are enjoying it as much as I am. I am enjoying this. I'm having a great time. Great way to to pass the COVID, huh? We're only on day one, too. There's plenty. Oh, there's so much. He 100% killed him? He he killed him? Effed him up. Oh, he effed him up good. Okay. Okay. So he didn't die. The guy the guys survived. I hope the guy survived. My Lord. <coughs> um, I don't know if we need to read this next piece. I, I'm just going to, once again, I'm going to skim the crap out of this one. This one, <clears throat> boy, we're really learning about we're really learning about Nasratu and its connections to anti-Semitism. And I think that's really good for education in today's world. So this is from Bergen County, actually. Oh no. Oh no, did we we got a brick? Did this brick? The article, the article, the wow. Well, ain't it a shame the way that this is frozen? Uh, you know what? We don't have to. I, oh, here it is. It's unfrozen, but I don't. I don't even know if we have to 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 read over this one because we've really. It's we're really beating it to death now. There are quarantines, funeral, stay-at-home orders. All the things that are so fam- so. Here's what's interesting. This is drawing parallels to what people have been dealing with for the last two years, and Nosferatu. Um, uh, in Nosferatu, there are quarantines, funerals, uh, stay-at-home orders, all things that are so familiar right now. There's also significantly rumor mongering and scapegoating. Hmm. 
Near the climax, an escaped lunatic is chased by an angry mob. In his famed study of German cinema, Caligari to Hitler, critic Siegfried argued that the vampire of Nosferatu was a tyrant figure, a foreshadowing of Hitler. Uh, That might be exactly backward. The vampire called Count Orlock in the film was made out of copyright, which is why Mr. Yeah, right. This this is all we've already heard all this. Okay, so this is interesting, though. Okay, this is a good part. This is a good part. Not that Nosferatu is an anti-Semitic film. Several of the actors were Jewish. Others were left wingers. Murnau, the director, was gay. But Nosferatu was drawing its themes from our collective unconsciousness. Uh, what is still as active in 2020 as it was in 1920. It's worth noting that uh, the Nazis, when they uh, circulated lurid propaganda cartoons about inferior races, often depicted them with rat-like features. Sometimes they were pictured like the vampire in Nosferatu in the midst of rats. Ba-bum. Nosferatu is old. It will be celebrating its 100th birthday in two years, but history is said to repeat. At the time of plague, paranoia, and fear-mongering, alas, everything old is new again. All right, blah, 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 blah. All right, here's the last one. We're, we're at the final. This is the final article. We're going to read through this. I, I picked this last piece specifically. Oh, no, did we freeze? Don't freeze, baby. No. Okay, we're back. We're back. Hey. No, my system. Son of a bitch. Hello. Hello. Earth to earth to earth to the internet. Are we good? Are we good? Are we good? I think we're good. Crazy white boys in the house. I just saw him just now. All right, let's pull this up. Yeah. Came out of the shadows with the 17th. Like, hello, all. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Welcome. Crazy white boy. I'm in slow motion. As long as my audio is good, we can move on. Um, the My system is lagging. I need to buy a new computer, and I cannot afford to do such a thing. So I just have to make do with the equipment that I have, and that's the way it will be for the time being. Um, we're going to make do. We're almost done here, guys. We're almost done. We're on the last one of this dissertation. Okay, the Vault of Horror. Okay, this piece is from July 11th, 2012. Summer of 2012. Uh, And it's from The Vault of Horror. And it's by, it doesn't say the author's name. Who's the author on this sucker? I don't see it here. I'm not seeing it here. Uh, It's a perplexing, Nosferatu at 90, the Jew as a vampire. It's a perplexing issue. One of the most revered and effective horror films of all time. Uh, one of the most, uh, God. one of the most revered and effective horror films of all time. Uh, though F. W. Murnau's Nosferatu may be, it is that was a weird sentence. That's why it was a weird sentence to read. So while it's one of the most effective films of all time, um, as it turns out, Nosferatu may be <clears throat> quite tainted for. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with me seriously it's like i literally can't talk covert i cannot talk uh it is also tainted for many by the shadow of one's history this is just a terrible sentence you try reading okay 
I want anybody to read this sentence out loud. I'm putting it in the comments. Try reading this sentence out loud. Maybe you, maybe I just suck at reading, but just try that. Try reading this sentence. This is a really tough sentence to read. Seriously, try that. One of the most revered and effective horror films of all time, though F.W. Marino's Nosferatu may be, it is also tainted for many by the shadow of one's history, most persistent history of, of hist whatever. Fuck it. Whatever. I don't care. Uh, I hope the rest of the article is not like this. Uh, the notion that Nosferatu contains anti-Semitic overtones is certainly not a new one. Critics and historians have debated that matter for decades. I don't think it's a matter of debate. I think it's a fact. The overtones are most certainly there. I submit that although the basis for the story and the characters does indeed come from Bram Stoker's 1897 English novel, the particular direction and slant uh, its first cinematic adaptation chose to take was motivated at least in part by time and place in which it was made. Uh, Weimar, Germany, uh, between world between the world wars. But we already have determined that Bram Stoker's novel Dracula is anti-Semitic. So no matter what, there is an anti-Semitic narrative weaved throughout the story. You can't escape it, especially when we know that Nosferatu is tied so closely to Dracula. So it doesn't. It doesn't. This writer doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, Germany after the First World War was placed in a great was Germany after the First World War was a place of great bitterness and national impotence. Soundly defeated and humiliated, the country was reeling after the fall of the Kaiser before the Third Reich arose to gave the nation a sense of vindication and purpose once again. The Reich came to power in part by playing off a rampant ethnic bias that had become more virulent than ever. Um, contempt for Jews was certainly nothing new in Christian Europe. Okay. Um, Paul says that everything and everyone is anti-Semitic. Huh. Um, contempt for the Jews was certainly nothing new in Christian Europe, but by the 1920s, it had reached a modern high in Germany where many blamed Jews for sabotaging the war effort, even of secretly conspiring to use their supposed wealth and power to undermine Germany and hand it over to its enemies. In short, they were scapegoated and it became more acceptable than ever to resent and mistrust them. This is the leverage that Hitler and his cronies would use to ascend to power, promising to rid the fatherland of the vermin polluting it. Four years after the Treaty of Versailles and 11 years prior to Hitler's ascendancy to chancellorship, F.W. Murnau directed Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, the first vampire film, and arguably the, the pinnacle of German expressionalist cinema. Wouldn't you say the cabinet of Dr. Caligari might be also the pinnacle of German expressionalist cinema? I feel like I feel like both of them go hand in hand. I, I really feel like those two and Der Gulm, the three of them together, have to go hand in hand. The film is a masterpiece, but is also a product of its time. And it can be no coincidence that this subject matter was chosen in particular as well as the manner in which it was presented. I'm not a fan of this writer. We that that writer we wrote the kosher vampire writer was phenomenal. 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 Oh. I thought this guy's name was Paul. Okay. My bad. My bad, bro. 
He just wants a lot of attention. Thanks for the interesting episode and rest up. I will. I will. We're almost done here. It's important to remember that at the time, the bulk of Germany's anti-Semitism was directed at Eastern European Jews who had immigrated to their country in recent decades. There was a broad xenophobia at work, a fear of the other, of foreign menaces coming to weaken and dilute. It was the environment that Murnau chose to adapt a novel in which a monstrous bloodsucker, who also happens to be based on Jewish stereotypes, travels from the wilds of the Eastern Europe and heads west to cause mayhem and destruction. Except in Murnau's version, it would not be England that would be targeted, but Germany. Uh, oh my God, is this, yo, is this, oh no, it's not that long. Okay, I was gonna say, I'm not, so not reading all that right now if it was super long. As many have pointed out, Murnau's version of Dracula, aka the repulsive Count Orlock, possesses many physical features commonly found in the stereotypical characters of Jews. At the time, a long hook nose, long claw fingernails, uh, bushy eyebrows, a large forehead. I mean, you're right, exactly. Stereotypical caricatures of Jews. A large, fall, a large forehead with a bald head and a general feminization of his appearance was also common. And we learned from the previous article that comes from mid medieval literature medieval um, art. His appearance is not only comparable to anti-Semitic imagery, but he's also made to look something like a rat in accordance with the disgusting rodents he brings with him. This in turn ties back into the Jewish stereotype as Jews were often uh, equated with rats and vermin as well. Orlock brings filth and plague with him. Uh, not unlike the, pre this is, this is the same thing. The parallels between vampirism and anti- and European anti-Semitism go back much further than Nostradamus and were in fact part of the uh, continental zeitgeist for centuries. Jews, as well as Romas, I'm not going to use that word, uh, another popular scapegoat, and they were just like Jews, another, a huge scapegoat uh, of post-World War I Germany and were often depicted as bloodsuckers. And uh, some have even traced the vampire's aversion to Christian imagery to this parallel. There was also a popular myth that circulated for centuries regarding the alleged Jewish practice of drinking the blood of Christian children. <sighs> I have an unbelievable amount of patience. Lizzie, in, in, you, you have no idea. You have no idea. Um, Compared to the native German Jew, the Eastern European Jew was seen as more of an alien influence, dissimilar in dress, language, and appearance, like Nosferatu, and notably like other later cinema vampires. They stood out blatantly from the rest of the populace. They were obviously visually other. And the, in, and, and the indigenous population responded with paranoia over being overrun, of their nation being transformed or infected as by a disease. They were seen as parasites. Uh, taking all of this into account, it is reasonable to assume that Murnau knew very well that his audience would understand the symbolism and, uh, and the underlying message uh, implicit in the Dracula story that informed Nosferatu. I do not by any means... Dis discry Nosferatu as a piece of pre-Hitlerian anti-Semitic propaganda. I do not by any means dis... What does descry mean? I don't know what that word means. Let's look that up. It means catch sight of. Okay. Spot. 
So I do not by any means spot Nosferatu as a piece of pre-Hitlerian anti-Semitic propaganda, but but Nosferatu is. That, that's what this, the writer doesn't get that. However, I do find it obvious that there's an element of that, um, you know, the drinking of, of Christian babies, right? Drinking of the blood of Christian babies. I do find it obvious that there is an element of that uh, that way of thinking, which informs the film throughout. Anti-Semitism has been, uh, has been popular in Germany throughout the 19th century and was magnified to the 10th degree under the influence of the Nazi party. Uh, bridging the gap between those two eras was the time which Nosferatu was made. It was a time during which commonly held prejudices were being congealed and codified. That Okay, this is the first time that the writer said something I really like. That's good. That makes sense. They were commonly held prejudices that were congealed and codified into something far more sinister and institutionalized. Underline that word, institutionalized. And the influence of that time period on a film like Nosferatu is undeniable. It is a work of its time designed in part to play on the fears of its target audience. It is with these festering fears, which boiled over during the Weimar years, which allowed Hitler and his ilk to get the populace on board with their plans for return to German dominance and to cleansing their fatherland of the alien influence, which had, they insisted, weakened it and brought it low. The Jew, along with the Roma, the homosexual or the gay person, and any other element deemed a threat to the purity of the Aryan race would be rooted out in a final solution more horrifying than anything Murnau or Stoker or any other purveyor of fiction could have imagined. Um, while far from a work of pre... See, you're wrong. It is absolutely a work of pre-Nazi propaganda as well. This predated the Nazi propaganda. We talked about how the Nazi propaganda um, used this movie as a basis, which in turn used Stoker's novel as a basis, which in turn take pulls from all sorts of European mythology over the last thousand years. Uh, I can see the influence of these nascent strains of it through, uh, on the picture, both as a Jungian product. I like that, Carl Jung. Jungian product of social subconscious, but it's also right on the surface. It's right, it's so blatantly on the surface. And it must be said, through conscious intent, Yet those tropes inform much of the early vampire literature and film, and I cannot dis discount their merit or their power as works of art on that basis. Hmm. Hmm. Um. <laughs> um. Okay. Toxic Swamp. Oh, my God. Am I fucking crazy? Of course, Toxic Swamp is John of Doom. What the fuck? Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? How did I? Of course, that's your other account. I was like, I fucking know. Yeah. Please check your email at the end of the show with Voice of Doom's The Shift Earth AD style. We accept your challenge. Ha. No copyright. You is that what you? Okay. Is you don't want to wait for 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 a misfit show? You want it to be now. Please, John. Please confirm what you what you wish, and I will abide your wish. Do you want? Do you want me to play it right now for everybody? I could do it both. I'll do it both. We'll do it for a Lodi show and we'll do it now. How about that? We're ending the show. We're, he wants it right now, he says. You got it, buddy. You got it. It's coming. It's coming, dude. All right. So what is this? All right. So guys, 
show is officially over. I want to thank, we still have two and a half hours later, we still have 22 people watching. That's pretty good retention. Um, and I want to now take a moment to do a little misfit stuff. Oh, Rue wants it too. Um, that's great. Oh shit. Hope your recovery is quick. Make sure you take plenty of your vitamins. I am. I haven't stayed hydrated. I've just been drinking seltzer. It's not good. <laughs> Thank you for watching, Goat Boy. Look at this. Um, I will watch your movie, Romeo's Distress, and get back to you with my thoughts. Thank you, Sid. And, okay, John of Doom, it's happening. I'm making it happen for you. This is, this is, um, so here's the challenge. Thank you. Um, thank you, Retro. I really appreciate it. We're, we're closing with this, you guys. Uh, and I want to say a big thank you to everybody who joined as YouTube members and everybody who, uh, you know, uh, John of Doom, everybody who, uh, JD, um, all you guys who, who supported with tips and stuff. Greatly appreciated. Thank you for that. Um, always just want you to know that I'm grateful for your viewership and uh, your contributions. And we're going to do this. John is requesting, hold on, you got to give me a second to load this up. So let me explain real quick what the challenge was. And they 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 uh, want to do it. The challenge was to either record a Sam Haynes song like a Misfits Earth AD song or to record a Misfits Earth AD song like a Sam Haynes song. And so, um, and the thing about uh, Voice of Doom, uh, which is Toxic Swamp, a.k.a. John of Doom's band, him and John, John of Steel and John of Doom, we'll be having on pizza punk sooner than later um they are oh, okay i see it right here john i'm 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 taking care of it right now okay hold on how am i gonna play it though uh i know i'll play it i got this covered so the idea was to try and the idea was to try and see if you could mimic the style because there was this clip I did early, early on where I was talking about the confusion between Earth AD and, and Sam Hain and the shift. I mean, and the Nishium because some of those songs were meant for Sam Hain, but then they were sped up like blah, 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 this whole back and forth. But I issued a challenge and um, I misanthrope uh, did this challenge, recorded a bunch of. That's terrible. That's really terrible. Hmm. Okay. So um, they uh, they did this challenge. I misanthropped did this challenge, recorded all of Earth AD like Sam Hain and vice versa. Go check out that episode. That dude is incredibly talented, did a great job. Um, Voice of Doom, however, holds the mantle, the title, and you should all go check out Voice of Doom if you get a chance. You can find them on Facebook. Go to Bandcamp. Check out. I don't know if they still have any copies of Night Tide. They're single. Go check out. Check them out. Limited edition. Um, they're re they they make really cool packages full of f physical media. Um, they do the best cover of Wolf's Blood I've ever heard. John himself. And I'm really not trying to blow smoke up his ass because I wouldn't say it if I didn't fucking believe it. Like John of Doom is the only person that can sing Wolf's Blood besides Glenn Danzig literally the only person who can do it. He has somehow figured out how to using the lyrics from the left hand book, has somehow figured out how to do the phrasing of Wolf's blood just perfectly. So now I'm very curious to hear him do the shift, which is absolutely one of my favorite 
fucking um, Sam Hain songs. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Nick Hall. What kind of question is that, buddy? Um, that that I mean, I love it all, man. I love them all. I I can't pick. You can't make me pick. Twelve hits from hell. Legacy of brutality. I don't know. I don't know. All right, all right. Hold on. Let's let's play this up. I gotta. How am I gonna do this? How am I going to? Oh, I know how I'm going to do this. Hold on. All right. All right. You got to finagle this real quick. We got this. We got, I'm going to save this to my drive. Okay. And then the drive came up. You, you fire up the drive, yada, yada, yada. Go to um, recent, right? Hopefully this will work. Let's see. When I turn on my speakers, it's late here at my house. I hope I don't. Mm. Why isn't it showing up? All right, give me one second. Give me one second. <coughs> this is a this is a a, a last minute request that we are uh, very happy to honor, but we want to honor it in as as properly as we possibly can. Uh, oh, it says. No, no, no. We don't want to replace. Cancel, cancel, cancel. We don't want it. But where is it? We got to find it. The ship starts. Oh, man, I'm really excited for this. Now, my first screenplay I ever wrote, my first feature screenplay is called The Shift. So there's a lot of stuff mixed in here. Here it is. I found it. Found it. Let's see if it will pull up. Preview. There we go. Uh, we don't want it to start yet. We don't want it to start yet. Don't start. Don't start me now. I'm having a good time. Okay. Okay. I think we got this. I think we got this uh, covered. Let's see. All right. I'm going to share this. Let me see here. Let me figure this out. Uh, we can see it through your sunglasses. Nice. Yeah, that's the one problem with the sunglasses. It's great for hiding my eyes so I can, like, read stuff and dart, dart my eyes around. But, like, you can also see through my lenses, which which I don't like. Don't like this. But that's the way I have my setup. Okay, here it is. Sorry. What am I just doing? I'm just, like, messing around like a jabroni here. Okay, Chrome tab. Search results, Google. Is this going to, will this play? Let's see. All right, ready? Hopefully this works. Let's try it. Let me know if, let me know what it sounds like, okay? Yes. 
straight to the production. song makes you want to just like rip things apart. into green hell hold on i gotta rewind that that was fantastic that was first of all the recording the the quality of the recording is stupendous i love the intro the drum intro like that's what's so interesting and and much like i misanthrope you guys too were able to figure out what are the characteristics of the music that lend themselves to earth ad like what makes earth ad earth ad you know and could the shift have found its way onto earth ad and hearing that right now you have 150 percent convinced me that had glenn danzig written the shift in 1982 or 1983 and he very well might have that he could have easily included it they could have arranged it like all the other material on earth ad and we end up getting this really cool stuff. I mean, I wonder if people before us talked about these things. Like, did people talk about this in the 90s or the aughts or whatever? But it's so cool that we now are, like, at this time where we're just so – we are we pontificate all over this stuff so much that we're, like, now at this, this point where we're, like, all right, let's, like, you know, what – like, what can we make this, like, making it sound – you know, trying it out. Um, I give an A plus to Voice of Doom, truly. Truly. Um, let's listen to it one more time. It's only two minutes and 22 seconds. Just want to give it one, one more quick listen. Right there, that feedback track. Right? Death comes ripping. What happened? Did I pause? Hold on. Oh, man. Hold on. Let's try it one more time. One more time. One more time. All right, ready? I'm going to try this one more time. Come on. Oh, no. Why is my system being so stupid right now? Here. Come on. Do something. It's not letting me play. 
Here, let me try it. Let me let me let me try it one more time. Let me pull this back up. Back out from the stomach of God on the Here. Alright, ready? Come on. Come on, you fucker. You motherfucker. Alright, here, we're trying it one more time. Man, I just want to hear it one more time. Alright, let's try it. Last time. Come on, you stupid son of a B. Here we go. Oh my god. <laughs> there are 18 people watching me just grunt on the internet right now. Hold on. Okay. That's what Robo is like. That Nice guttural approach. Not trying to mimic one dance. You guys nailed you, you. Oh, shit. Did I just end the stream? Oh, my God. No, no. Keep streaming. Oh, my God. That was nuts. I almost ended the stream before I said goodbye. Um, That that was that was really that was stupendous, man. That was I, I, I hereby dub voice of doom right alongside. I misanthrope 
two completers of the Earth AD to Initium Challenge. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. If anybody else out there wants to try the Initium to Earth AD Challenge, feel free. Um, we'll probably play that again on a Misfits-centric. Remind me, John, the next time we're on a Misfits broadcast or whatever, or we're doing a Misfits streaming Evil Live, that we should play that again for uh, for that crowd, for whoever might be there that's not here now. Um, that brings us... Um, Dan just joined us. I'm sorry, Dan. We're we're we're, we're peeling out of here. Um, the uh, that brings us to the end of the show, everybody. Um, I can't believe we did almost three hours while I was sick with COVID. Um, I hope we all learned something today. For yes, Nick, that's great. You should go vo- go follow Voice of Doom on Facebook right now. Check out their Bandcamp as well. They got all their music up there. You can listen to all their stuff. Check out. See if there's anything else you like. Check out Night Tide. Um, freaking, freaking, I hope we all learned some stuff here. And again, it's not that like, that's not to say that like, again, Nosferatu, in closing, Nosferatu is a cinematic masterpiece. But we also need to understand and contextualize its place, you know, in not only just cinema history, but within the history of anti-Semitism as well and um lizzie thank you again for joining uh our 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 membership awesome um okay i am going to play us out with the patreon video like we do here on the channel thank you so much as always we say i'm gonna try to be back tomorrow i got i got a lot of time to kill so i'm gonna try and come back as often as possible try to come back tomorrow I was supposed to do Batman. We're supposed to have a Batman stream on Sunday. It's not fucking going down because I can't. I I was going to take my dad to go see Batman. I can't do it. So I cancel our tickets and um, uh, I'll just have to wait. That that stream will have to wait. So um, peace and hair grease and check out the Patreon. Hey, guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. <laughs> 
The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes. That's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.